Today's topic is violence and its efficacy in everyday life. My panelists will attempt to elucidate this subject, hopefully with a minimum of actual demonstration. After six takes, we are out of interns. I can tell you that violence solved all my problems. No downside. My relatives wouldn't stop chewing me out, so I used violence to shut them up permanently. It's a risk taking this long to talk when the manhunt occupies thousands of police. But I just had to tell my story. It was always a problem getting enough money to survive, so I went to, into a bank and used violence. It was just their hard luck for the bank employees to push the button. That made me mad. I had a job with people who wouldn't shut up! Ever! So I used violence. Now, I never need to worry about those stupid, noisy, irritating people again. Violence shut them up forever. Between all the calls for law enforcement and sanitary employees, we received this one from an easily confused viewer. We had to correct her. What? Mr. Teller, that was violence on television, not violence. Violence. Oh. Also, due to the panel's inability to cease eliminating our workforce, this program is on indefinite hiatus. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. Three, two, one. RPGs from the 1980s right up through yesteryear. Brought to you by the staff of RPGamer.com, we tackle the good, the bad, and the ugly games from nearly 30 years of RPG history. So sit down and hold on tight. Your next adventure is about to begin. Here are the hosts of RPG Backtrack, Phil Willis and Mike Meeky. Welcome to RPG Backtrack. This is podcast number 91, you know, for kids. We're going to be talking about a pair of games that involve mass killing. And then we're going to go totally on the other end of the spectrum and talk about saving a kid. And to help me talk about the Drakengard games and near is my good friend and partner in arms, our host, Mr. Mike McGee. Yeah, I play both Drakengard games. Don't you feel something for me? <laughs> yes, and I'm sure we're going to discuss just how we feel for you. Also to help us out tonight is our very wonderful guest, Mr. Nathan Schlothen. It's a pleasure to be always, to share the pain and the love. Mm-hmm. And coming to us all the way from the North Pole is Mr. Trent Seely. <laughs> It's a pleasure to be here, although I'm currently feeling a little dumb because I've always actually pronounced it Dragon Guard, not Drakengard. Well, Dragon Guard's how I pronounce it, so 
I'm That's sitting here like, what is this game everyone's played but me? <laughs> I think we'll understand you just so long as you don't call it Drag On Dragoon, which is one of the stupidest names I've ever heard in my life. <sighs> Fun subtitle, though. We're going to get to, and then we're going to get to Nier, and someone's going to tell me, no, Phil, it's really pronounced Nier. So. Oh, that guy needs a punch in the face. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I am your host, Phil Willis. We're going to take a tiny little break. Then we're going to come back with our main event. Return and we are ready to talk about Drakengard, otherwise known as Drag On Dragoon. That's what the cover says from the original Japanese cover art, so it must be right. Yeah, yeah it, 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 it says Drag On Dragoon, and Square Enix, when bringing it across the ocean, decided that's a really stupid title. We should change it to something else. And they would be right. <laughs> I kind of wish they do it more often these days. Yeah. But... Yeah, it's not something you see very much nowadays. So even the nowadays of 2004, which feels weird to be so long ago. Yeah, wasn't this like the very first game in the U.S. to use the Square Enix label? Well, at least right after the merger. I believe you are right, actually. Yes. So Dragon Guard was developed by uh, Square Enix, published here in North America by Square Enix, and it was uh, brought to you on your PlayStation 2 home gaming console on March the 2nd, 2004. This is a single-player action RPG experience coming to you on one hot DVD-ROM. Actually, it was developed by Kavia, or Kavia, whatever. Well, Kavia. It says Kavia slash Square Enix. Now, who am I to believe it says Square Enix on the cover? Well, Kavia is one of the most iconic games that everyone remembers them for, which they also were disbanded for. Well, they weren't disbanded for that, so I'm getting ahead of myself. But, uh, but yeah, that's the yeah, we, we can save that for the near talk. Yeah. Okay. Drakengard, Drakengard. Which, which pronunciation are we going with here so we can achieve I like Drakengard. <laughs> which one do you like, Trent? I, I say Drakengard, but I don't, I don't care if you say Drakengard. <laughs> All right, we have no uniformity then. Just it, it has ten letters and three syllables. That should be enough. We can just say that game. <laughs> yeah, that that game that stars a guy named Kaim who uh, kills a lot of people. Oh yes, yes he does. And boinked his sister. Isn't no, that that's... a tasteful point, plot point? That's not exactly how it goes. That, this, this is actually starting to sound like the plot of Caligula. For all we know, the developers of Kavya were fans. I, I applaud them. <laughs> well, okay, I played it just a couple months ago. Does that mean I get to take on the plot description, or do you want to try it, Nathan? Um, I guess I'll run through it. I guess we can alternate when we hit the endings, though. 
I'll claim the odd number in things. Okay. Um, basically, the story is that the Union and the Empire have been at war. They're, we don't know much about the Union or the Empire. They're just The Union is just the good guy army. The Empire is the bad guy army. The, you know the Union guys because they only show up in speech battles and don't show up in gameplay at all? And then every soldier in the game is the Empire army. These kind of mind-controlled, red-eyed guys who chant out weird stuff and then you kill them in ridiculously huge numbers. It's all about killing large numbers of people. You control yes, kinds. Well, yeah. Anyways, you control Kaim, the prince of some kingdom that's part of the Union. His kingdom has been destroyed. His sister, Furiae, is the goddess who... It's just kind of described as she's the seal of the world or something. It's very clearly defined in the beginning. All that you know is that she's important and that the Empire wants her dead, and if she dies, something bad happens. What's the bad thing that happens is clarified later. Anyways, most of the first part of the... Well, okay, at the very first of the game... The Kaim's castle is under attack by a giant army of the Empire, which is, I guess, typical because the Empire fields a lot of giant armies. And they're losing, and so in the middle of this, they find that suddenly there's a red dragon that's been captured by the Empire. No one knows what she's doing there, but there's a red dragon there. Kaim saves her from the Empire, but er, er, but only in the he, condition He's that, mortally wounded, and so is she. Yeah, they're both mortally wounded. They said, let's make a pact, because that'll apparently solve the mortally wounded thing. And, well, they make a pact, which means they start sharing their life force, and they can start talking telepathically, and they share their power. Which basically is a giant excuse for you to hop on the red dragon's back and fly off into the sky and start burning down the enemy's airships and other monsters. And then you go down and start burning them all up on the ground. And This is the gameplay of Drakengard. Half of it is kind of running around, slashing things up on the foot. Half of it is bombing things from the air using you know, on the back of the red dragon. Well, that sounds totally awesome, Nathan! You know, on that level it is, actually. I don't hate this game. It, it's not a good game. But I don't hate it, because in a certain sense, bombing things from Dragon Back with fire is fun, the aerial combat's okay, and the ground combat has its moments. It's not good, but there's I fun. don't hate it. I can come up with several games that I absolutely loathe, and this is not one of them, except that I do hate the camera. The camera is a bit strange. It, the yeah. camera can go kiss my butt for the rest of its life. <laughs> it's okay back in 2004, that's what I'll say. Okay, anything you want to add here, Trent? Or yeah, are I don't we doing you. a good job? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to tell you exactly why. Um, I, 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 I start, I'm a, a long-time Dynasty Warriors fan. I know a lot of people don't like the Dynasty Warriors franchise. I, I get it. <laughs> They're hack and slash, you press a button... Oh. People, people stab each other, and then you get points, and people die, and I don't know. For a lot of people, it just turns you off, and I personally really enjoy those games. I buy every iteration. Dynasty Warriors 8's coming out this year. I'm going to buy it, regardless of how good it is. Uh, and, and I can guarantee you that 90% of the reviews are going to hate it. However, the mechanics of those games, the, the sort of... I, it, for, for all the hate it gets for being the same thing in every iteration, they have the core game mechanics down. So I, I know how a hack and slash game should rightfully feel. If, yeah, I mean... If, I, if, oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. I just want to say, yeah, I've also rather enjoyed Dynasty Warriors and a bit more so Samurai Warriors. But yeah, Dragon Guard is not up to that, is it? Yeah, it's just like I, I, I understand collision detection, I guess, in that kind of circumstance a, a little bit better. So when you put me on a big battlefield, I, I kind of know 
how an enemy should be fallen, I guess, when I hit uh, I think saying, you know, it should be exactly like that is really a good well, way well, to say no. it. Well, but, no, but I just, I just feel like the, the, it's not as finely tuned as the Dynasty Warriors games, and because I've enjoyed the Dynasty Warriors games, it feels more obvious. <laughs> Well, there's a lot of reasons it's not as good as the Dynasty Warriors games. Before we get into the mechanics, because I have a lot to say, we might as well continue and do the endings, because there are yeah. five of them. You said you were going to do the odd-numbered ones, so yeah. take the first one, Nathan. Okay, well, basically, the Empire's going around destroying these things called Seals. Yeah, they get blown up. Along the way, you recruit some party members, but not before you get the first ending, so I'm going to pass those off for a little later. So just run around. You try to protect the seals. You fail every time. During this way, the red dragon is very... Well, she's a character. It's... Okay, I'll just say, the red dragon is the single best part of this entire game, considering her dialogue is amazing throughout, in my opinion. She's just been a, just a lot of fun, and my favorite dragon character in basically the entirety of video games. I seem to remember a good chunk of her lines being along the line of, uh, Kai, do you really want to try to kill everything in your path forevermore? And the implied, I mean, Kai, Kai is mute as a consequence of his pact, but it's always implied, yes, I want to kill everything. Oh, Whatever and I, I want to say about the dragon that her voice reminds me of Ogre in Dark Crystal. I don't know if anybody else has noticed that. I, I haven't actually watched that movie, so I wouldn't know. Oh, okay. Trent, have you? No. Phil, have you watched The Dark Crystal? Oh, yes, I'm on the Muppets, ain't it? <laughs> yes, the one with the Muppets. Yay, I remember the movie. I actually knew a Mike Minky movie reference. Gold star for me. So remember what Ogre, the lady who had... She was kind of the old hag lady. What did she sound like? She said, that's the voice of the dragon in this game. Ooh, creepy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she just sounds like, you know what she is, a several thousand-year-old dragon who just hates all of mankind and is just perfectly content to laugh and watch as Kai murders them all. She really sells this. It's really fun. Yeah, anyway. I have to agree. She's the most interesting character, especially since Kai loses his tongue for the pack, so he doesn't say much, except by killing everything in his path. Yeah, just killing everything in his path. His sister is there. Uh, she's just kind of nice and sweet and kind she's, of vapid, at least to me. She's just, she's just there. You're supposed to feel for her because she's suffering under the seals of the goddess, which are, again, poorly explained to the fact that, A, she's important and the Empire wants her dead, and, B, she, these seals mean she's always in pain and suffering and weak, which kind of sucks for her. And that's about it. Yeah, kind of does. Yeah, and anyways, well... Oh, and uh, there's a guy... Inuart. Who is your outlet? Inuart who makes a pact with another dragon and takes Fortii away because he's filled with lust after making the pact and he wants to keep her for himself. And uh, Yeah, well, he yeah. used to be engaged to her before she became the goddess, but then she became the goddess, their engagement became annulled because, for some reasons, probably explains. He's basically always a big, strong rivalry with Kai, but he used to be a, he just, he used to sing songs and couldn't fight, so he made a pact with the Black Dragon, joined the Empire, all that. Also, there's some stuff about the cult of the Watchers, which is apparently controlling the Empire, and there's this creepy voice that control that is commanding them, which turns out to be a little girl who talks like she's, you know, possessed because she kind of is it, or not. It's complicated. That's the Priestess Mana. She's important because 
Well, at the end of all of this, Inuart kidnaps Furiai. Furiai is killed. And we realized that... And, and she was the last of the seals. There were other the seals that they... The Empire destroyed. But yeah. Furiai dies, the world becomes unsealed. And you realize the world becomes unsealed is really crazy because basically the world goes insane once the goddess is dead. Uh, Furiai is dead. Yes, in the form of gigantic evil infants that start tra- traipsing ah, over... Ah, you're getting ahead of it. Killed. You're spoiling. That's not what happens. Which ending uh, am I going for then? Oh, that's I'm... five. You spoiled the ultimate no, that's, thing. That's not five. That's four. Yes, well, four, five, whatever. <laughs> hey, five takes so much effort to get that I didn't get it. <laughs> I'll get to five. Um, yeah. So basically, the, the seal's broken. The sky turns red. Ancient dragons start showing up. The thing, items called the seeds of res- resurrection fall to the ground, and hounds that everyone wants, but. It's, yeah, basically, the world goes insane. Filled with monsters, all basic principles of it being a nice ordered world vanish. And so you have to stop this by fighting the priestess Mana, who, by the way, is a 10-year-old girl. She looked even younger than me. What? Well, maybe she like even, eight. Yeah, and six. she also was physically abused by her parents because they loved her brother far more than she and expressed yeah, by really beating sad. her whenever possible. Yeah, this, her mother beat her and then eventually abandoned her in the middle of a wasteland. And so the gods fell in love with her instead because they enjoyed watching her suffering. Because the gods suck in this world. Well, it sounds tremendously Greek. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I want to see an accurate video game rendition of the Odyssey made sometime. That'll be fun. Yeah, that would be kind of crazy. So yeah, that, basically the ending is... You defeat the priestess, Mana, the, the cult of the Watchers are defeated, and the red dragon, who's been your companion this entire way, offers her herself up as the new goddess. It's because, you know, she's actually kind of, kind of like Kaim after all this. Maybe it's all the killing, who knows. And, yeah, that's the first ending. Basically, the world is messed up, your sister is dead, her corpse is carried off by Inuart, Art's just out of his depression, and... Kaim basically, rather than killing the priestess, just kind of takes her in and forces her to watch all, all the see all the suffering she inflicted as she drags off her own unhappy life. The so, for, forcing her to watch as he refuses to let her die so that she can feast in all, the pain of all the stuff that she helped augur into the world continuing for years to come. Yeah, it's basically a kind of bittersweet ending. The world is saved, but it's not really happy. You didn't really accomplish much. And so you go into the rest of the game hoping you can do better. Get a better ending. That would lead us to ending number two. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Can, we, can we stop? So, so the first ending that we're talking about, a giant red dragon sacrifices themselves to save the partner? Yep. She, she becomes so, so they first part the of the new seal. Yeah, so it's the new goddess, it's the replacing the hero sister Furiai is the living seal to, for, to keeps the influence of the seeds of resurrection and all the other craziness away and such. I, I would be so much more cooler if instead of replacing the goddess with that red dragon, we replaced it with Sean Connery. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not exactly you know qualify <laughs> yeah he's ever so slightly retired in scotland but even if we went back not when he, not when he's a dragon <laughs> i'll so have you know on. junior i'll have you know that no one orders me about especially not you Kai. <laughs> okay ending number two in which the dragon obtains crazy powers due to the dissolution of the seals eats mana and you must and kaim must destroy her at the end ushering in psychotic dragons that pretty much tear the entire world to bits that's 
I think I can, can that's ending three. You're getting them confused. Wait, say that again. Uh, that you're getting two confused with three. Well, let's see. Ending uh, three is when Fourier <clears throat> no, that's gets ending revived two. by Inuart. That's ending two. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Basically. Okay. Maybe I did them out of order. Okay. Then, then uh, ending two must be the one where Inuart distraught at the fact that Fourier has just died to un to break all of the seals, decides to use the power of the Seeds of Resurrection to revive her, ignoring the fact that if you do that, then you will not get back exactly what you wanted, kind of like Pet Cemetery, only not. And what do you know? He doesn't get back exactly what he wanted. Fourier turns into a psychotic monster of Godzilla proportions, prepared to rip everything to shreds. So, kill her. Yep, basically. Then you basically Kai has to kill his sister. Then in the end, it's like a thousand other kind of other furry eyes just kind of show up, and that's the ending. Just Kai holding the monster form, the transformed monstrous corpse of his dead sister, as you know, a hundred others are raising up to destroy the entire world. That's ending too. Yeah, <clears throat> so it's considerably less optimistic than in one yeah and ending three is you know basically you managed to kill inuart before he can do this so instead the red dragon who's been your companion all along suddenly says oh yeah dragon rebellion we're gonna wipe out all of mankind and the gods we're just gonna have to eat you in the process and so you have to fight and kill the red dragon who is turned into a kind of creepy black dragon form her chaos form yeah and you have to do that indoors which is not fun but um yeah Okay, now I have to remember what ending four is. I did get it. Uh, may I'll just run through it then. <laughs> go for it then. Okay, so yeah. In this game, I guess I'll also explain at this point, you get some companions on your route. If you get to point to get up to ending four. First is, ah, I'm blanking on his name. It's quiet guy. Seer? Oh, oh no, uh, yeah, the, the blind elf guy. Yeah, the blind guy. Uh, I'm Leonard, is it? I think it's Leonard. That sounds right. Yeah, well, okay. He's actually, from what I've heard, he's somewhat censored in the U.S. release. In the American version, it, and he, you meet him when you see that the Empire's murdered all of his brothers. There's, and this, there's, and he's made a pact with the fairy in order to help, he to well avenge them and fight the Empire along with you. In the Japanese version, it's less brothers and more. He's a pedophile. Yeah. Ah. <clears throat> yeah, and this still got a mature rating. I wonder. Square Enix didn't feel like getting the first adult-only console release, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Moving on from him. <laughs> well... <laughs> Should we mention Ariok, Ariok, then? Yeah, Ariok is going much better, because next is Ariok, I think her name is, or Ariok, or whatever you want to call her. She's an elf woman who lost, lost her children in the war, and so... Or then made a pact with two crazy spirits called Salamander and Dean, fire and water spirits... Who you know just liked to watching her suffer and well everyone has to give up something when they get a pact. Kaim has to give up his sub speech. Leonard had to give up his sight. Ayo Noch had to give up her womb and you know she lost her children. She can't have any more, but she still kind of wants children. So she and so she in her desperate by just any time children become apparent in the landscape, she wants to kill them. No, she wants to eat them. She actually <laughs> does so in a couple of scenes. So yeah, so far we've got a pedophile and a cannibalistic child-eating elf woman. 
And our leader, one of the most bloodthirsty tyrants, mass murderers the world has ever seen. Yeah, that's you. (laughs) I mean, there's one chapter, a side chapter of the game where they're sending an army of children soldiers at you. There's uh, there's soldiers and there's kids soldiers. You're not asked to leave the children soldiers alone or spare them. No. Your mission objective is to kill every last child soldier. You couldn't care about the adult soldiers. You have to kill the child soldiers. Dragon Guard for you. Yep. Okay, ending four. Yeah, okay. Also, important on ending four is the last party member, Sire, who's actually the, the twin brother to Mana, the evil priestess. He's, you know, the one who's actually wasn't horribly abused because his parents like him, even though they didn't like his sister. And yeah, he makes a pact with a giant golem in order to go find his sister. And then so he gave up his time, which basically means he doesn't age anymore. Though he still just got that pact, so you don't see any effects of that in this game. And, well, yeah. This pleasant group of company, alongside the hierarch Verdele, who doesn't join the battle at all, just kind of does annoying commentary from the sidelines, you, you keep giving this chance to try to... Okay, basically, this, I have to explain a bit of the gameplay here. The game is set into a long series of linear chapters so you can go back and replay at any time. This game has a rather unusual feature that by taking a party member from who you... Like, like, who joins the party later on, and you bring them back in time to an earlier chapter. You can unlock side chapters. You seriously bring a character back through time. It, I don't know how it works. It's not even justified in-game at all, the story. Uh, the, the, the seals are undone. There, yeah. that's, that's about so, the only justification you can get. Yeah, and so by doing so, you can unlock some alternate routes to the game and see some alternate missions and chapters. And one of these is basically an entire different route where you're, instead of watching the entire army get blown up by an evil sky fortress, you instead go to an ocean fortress and teleport into the sky fortress and something like that. And in doing so, you find your way to reach your sister Freya before she's killed. So you think, oh, hey, I'll get to save her. Maybe avert the horrible calamities and bad endings. Nope. Instead, you just learn out why she dies. Because the mana reveals that Freya is, in fact, madly in love with Kaim all along. And out of shame from having having Kaim learned this, Freya commits suicide. Yep, there goes any hope of avoiding the bad endings. Instead, you get to go off and... Bearing mana like in the first ending, you get to kill her. At which point... Things get really bad. Because apparently the gods who love Mana so much decide to, you know, they don't like her digging dead, so they're just going to invade the world and kill all of mankind. And they're, well, the creepy baby things. That was Yeah, they're about 15 foot tall, homicidal looking infants that just wander around. And, well, if you get close, then they will, in fact, attempt and often succeed in tearing you to bits. Or spit giant energy lasers at you, which blow you up in one shot or something like that. They're pretty nasty. Yeah, I, I don't like these babies at all. They're so creepy, and they fit <laughs> giant armies. And then you get to watch them kill all of your party members one by one. Uh, yeah. And so you go off to ending four, in which you encounter the queen of all of these things, just giant woman who's floating in the sky. And by running through a gauntlet of these babies trying to kill you, you get to de- p- deliver Siri to this woman. And by using his power of frozen time, he freezes them all in time. And giant swirling darkness envelops everything. That's ending four. Everyone dies and the world is frozen in time. This is still better than the next ending, which is... Which is apparently the one that vaguely connects to Nier, I understand. Yes. Ending 5 connects to Nier vaguely. And let, let's not talk about how you get Ending 5 yet. I'll go into that. Why would you <laughs> I can rant about that for days, though. You'll have your chance. Let's just get it out of the way for now. Okay, Ending 5 is 
if you've gathered every... Well, I'll just tell you for that later, but at the ending five, instead of delivering Siri, Kaim decides to just fight the queen himself. And so you charge after the queen, everything fades to black, and next thing you know, you're crashing down into Tokyo. Yes, Tokyo. And there you fight the queen and something will rant about for a while. And you win, victorious. The queen is defeated. So you get ending five. You have saved the world and defeated the queen of the evil gods. And you're in Tokyo. And you're in Tokyo. And so the Japanese self-defense force shoots you out of the sky with mists. The end. Kaim and the Red Dragon crash down and get impaled on the Tokyo Tower. That's it. That's all you see. I... This ruins my day. <laughs> it's really hard to get this ending. I worked so hard to get it. I wanted that good ending, and instead they gave me that. <laughs> it just ruined my day. I mean, these days I just look back, and all I can do is laugh. It's like a big practical joke that I don't know what to say. Yeah, Trent, remember when I was telling you about how to get this ending? Yeah, it seemed like a lot of work for no good reason. But you get to see yourself be shot down by the Japanese self-defense force. Clearly, that's worth getting every weapon in the game. And getting to the final chapter. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, clearly, all worthwhile. You do unlock a bonus spell where you get to fight the Japanese self-defense force, which is kind of worth it, but that's not all I can say. Well, okay. Let's start going into the gameplay, I think. I think it's that time, because the plot is the main reason I played this. It's so freaking out there, you'll never experience anything like it again. Nope, it's so unique, it's incredibly memorable. It's actually really interesting, kind of well done in its own crazy way, but... When we get to how it plays, though... um... Well, okay, here. I mentioned the camera. I will now describe what the camera does. The camera is under the impression that it does not need to move until Kaim has stopped moving. Yep. This is this is not a recipe for success, especially in the indoor levels where it can get stuck in a wall and you can kind of wonder, where the hell is it going? I can't see anything. You stupid piece of crap. Turn around so I can see the thing that is charging down the corridor and I need to time my jump exactly or it will ram into me. No, it's not going to do that. Yeah, or you want to... It's, it's kind of hilarious, though. It is kind of hilarious that they chose to incorporate Resident Evil camera controls <laughs> in an action-adventure title. <laughs> yeah, and there's you know stuff like you, you're trying to fight off enemies, but you can't see the ones. You can't target your spells, so you need to stop moving while you're in the middle of being attacked by enemies. It's the last thing you want to do. This sucks. I think it might oh, be funnier if you could it, just record... It? If you could record somebody playing this game for the first time and watch the reactions on that person. It'd be hilarious. It's also it's, oh sorry sorry Nathan. Oh also it's just it's notable that your dodge moves are based not on where Kaim is facing or how you're moving, but rather where the camera is facing. So this camera is actually vitally important to dodging correctly. Yes, it is. I just remember thinking like when because I bought the game, I, I actually went out and I bought it outright because I thought to myself, you know, I love Square Enix and I love hack and slash titles, and I think dragons are wicked cool. So this is gonna be awesome. <laughs> and uh, and I started playing, and I was just like, oh, it it doesn't feel right. It feels so out of tune. And I was like, well, maybe as soon as I get in the sky, it'll play better. <laughs> you know, uh, I will address I this briefly. Like, assume like I would get on it, and it would be like, "Hey, it's like a mix of Panzer Dragon and Dynasty Warriors." Yeah, and it Trent, not- Nathan, have either of you played any Panzer Dragoon? 
No, I'm, I'm never played Panzer Dragoon. I'm not sure it's an apt comparison. They specifically were not trying to go for Panzer Dragoon for this. They're trying to go for Ace Combat with this, so that's a better comparison. But I still. It, it occurred to me because I did play some Panzer Dragoon. It reminds me most of Orta if Orta had gone horribly wrong. Because you move so slowly in the air, and, and yet you need to move slowly because. Okay. I could just make the comparison, go play Panzer Dragoon Orta, and then you'll know what I'm talking about. But when you slowly, only slowly gain the ability to target more than three things at a time, and Panzer Dragoon, you can either use your dragon's lasers to hit things, or you can use your own gun to hit things that the lasers don't do anything to. Here, you've got the lasers, and you slowly gain the ability to hit more things at a time with them. And in the interim, you mostly get to come way too close to things and not be able to see them because the camera is seemingly unable to show you directly up or directly down from your dragon. So good luck figuring anything out when you're in that position. And I'll say this, they end a lot faster than the ground missions. Yeah. But when when that's the biggest plus I can come up with, we've got a problem. Yeah. The the dragon air combat in this game isn't that great. I mean, shooting off of the the red dragon's giant swarm of death laser attack spells is really fun and having the homing shots and the the direct fire fireball is a decent range of options but i mean they certainly aren't that great oh oh, so. oh i remembered something yes having the same analog stick both direct the direction the camera is pointing so the direction you're facing and the direction that you need that your t- targeting cursor takes was not a good idea I don't know. It seems to work pretty well. It's a class. It's you know, it's a decent control setup. It's just you control it like a fighter plane, basically. You put controlling the nose up and down, left or right, and guiding the dragon around. I Maybe I'm just remembering Panzer Dragoon again, where you can instantly look around you at any time, and you don't need to worry about where the dragon is facing. Maybe but again, it's not really trying to be Panzer Dragoon. It's not that exact same kind of shooter, though. So. I think some of the Kavya em- employees were ex-Sega, though. Well, yeah, but again, they specifically called to talk to an interview, so they're trying to emulate more of the Ace Combat style, rather, and they didn't, weren't really focusing on Panzer Dragoon at all. It's just well, people compare them to Panzer Dragoon because they both have dragons. That's not actually trying to be the same kind of gameplay. And that, well, regardless of, of like uh, finding comparisons to other titles in the market, I, I think most of us can agree that the aerial combat isn't exactly the highlight of this game. Uh, no, there isn't really a highlight. Of this game, I guess. <laughs> I guess the fact that it gives so well, much variety to this like one the highlight. Story, the story is fairly interesting, but. Yeah, okay, basically, we've got three different kinds of gameplay. All of them are kind of like the toned down, not great version of that style. <laughs> well, okay, let, let's go for the dragon fighting things on the ground now, in which you can take the dragons back and swoop around, blast things on the ground with your fireballs, then swoop back, blast things on the ground again because they usually don't die on hit, then. Blast them on the ground again, swoop back and back and back and hit them repeatedly, unless they've got archers or people or things resistant to magic down there. When you have to get down there as Kaim and kill them yourself because the dragon will take a couple hits and fly away for a while and leave you stranded on the ground. Yeah, archers, I hate them so much. There's no words for how awful the archers are in this game. Just no words. And that brings us to the ground, where Kaim laboriously runs along and anything he sees he kills and you you have an hour time limit for each of the ground missions and well most of them and, and you sh- you'd, you'd think that would be enough an hour is a lot of time 
But remember that mission, Nathan, where you have to slaughter at least a thousand guys before you're done with it, where first yeah. you fight Imperials, then more Imperials pop up, then undead pop up, and then more Imperials pop up? Yeah, that's, you know, the big military battle in the Blue Mountains, I think it is. That... I, was, I was dangerously close to running out of time. I had killed over yeah. 1,400 men in that battle. <laughs> yeah. Because the game, in a nice touch, keeps track of your kill count for each battle. Yeah, because, you know, that's actually a rather important game mechanic in this game because of how weapons work. But It is, yeah. Which is that they make yeah. by kills, not by the experience you get from those kills. Mm-hmm. Um, Most missions have, like, a thousand enemies in them, which is great. <laughs> a lot of them do. And you can go around and kill a thousand enemies. I think that's actually kind of nice thing that they have a large enemy count. But... It is. But it reminded me of why I like Streets of Rage so much, and yet Drakengard got old after a little while, which is that it gets boring to kill the same hundred guys eight times in a row. I disagree. It is fun in Dynasty Warriors. <laughs> I, I accept that that could be so, not having played <laughs> Dynasty Warriors. However, Trent, was it fun here? No, no, it was... After actually getting to 100 kills alone, I was just like, can we just not... <laughs> that was my initial reaction. And, this and makes I'll, me I'll, think I'll that I do need to try Dynasty Warriors. Yeah, no, I, and I'll agree with Nathan, too. The the archers in this game are just... Ah, uh, ah, uh, <laughs> there's difficulty that's applied with balance and you feel like these represent a legitimate challenge that I have to overcome. And then there are enemy units that are like, they're there just kind of to piss you off. And it doesn't feel like a fair or legitimate challenge at all. And, and I'll agree completely with Nathan's statement that if you're new to playing this kind of game and this is your first game along these lines, it'll probably turn you off to the genre. And you'll what? I didn't say anything like that. Pardon me? I didn't say anything like that. Well, I, I was leading into the fact that, uh, it, well, I kind of deviated. I'm sorry. But uh, it, it, <laughs> this game will, will make you hate archers. And those sort of Yeah, it, it'll make you hate archers, that's for sure. Yeah. And those stinking, filthy mages. Because yeah. you if you're fast enough, you could kill the archers with the dragon. It's really hard to do, and you probably won't be able to. But the mages, they don't take any damage from the dragon. You have to get in there and kill them physically. Yeah. Fortunately, a lot of enemies in this game are a lot easier than they look, because, okay, there's the red armored guys. Dragonfire doesn't work on them. Your spells, which are normally your best bet for uh, ground combat, those don't work on them. However, your allies who can summon to the battlefield, they'll work on them. Because your allies are just broken powerful. They can have their unlimited use of their spells as much as they want, and their spells just murder everything, even red armored guys. So you can always just cut through anything quickly with them, so things are never quite as bad as they seem, which I guess is the one thing in this game's favor. That, you know, at least you always have your allies to bail you out, so nothing gets too tedious or hard. And yet, because they have a limited time on the battlefield, you're going to have to get in there and <clears throat> swat your enemies yourself. And honestly, yeah. I did that a lot because most of them are not that difficult. Even in groups, you just just mash the X button. That's what I did. Mash the yeah. X button. Mash, 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 mash. Well, well, oh, 50 know, guys are dead. Mash, 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 mash. Well, he mashing the well, square button, actually, I think. Or then hit, hit a triangle to, you know, use a special attack. And I used those a lot. Those are pretty good. Or just every so often during the middle of a melee combo, you could, your, your kind will flash. And if you hit the triangle that time, you finish off the combo with a big finisher attack, which can wipe out a whole enemy crew in one strike, which is helpful. It is, yep. I find... And what's also very helpful, at least to me, was if you can keep a combo going long enough, uh, the enemies will start dropping health replenishment. 
Yep. And the longer you can keep it going, the bigger the health replenishment things they drop. Yep. If you can, they'll drop health replenishment points at certain kind of preset component numbers. Also, in case you drop red spheres, if you touch those spheres, they'll cause a giant explosion. They'll knock down every enemy in the area. And if you get a hundred chain combo, you can get a giant power upgrade. Which, which I found fairly difficult to do, mostly because the timing requires that you have a whole lot of enemies in the area, and if one of them is just being a little jerk and hiding away from you, then you might see the combo break off against your will. Yeah. Also, it works really well if you've got a weak weapon on a lot of enemies, but other than that, it's not going to come up much. It only happened to me like twice, I think. Yeah, if you kill every enemy in two or three hits, then you need a lot of enemies. And you get them, but they're not necessarily flocking in all at one time for you to take advantage of. Yeah. It's just, it's just harder than it's worth, more difficult than it's worth to get the really, the 100 chain bonus kind of thing. But still, the small pickups, pretty easy to get and really helpful. Also, the full healing upgrades that are scattered in chests around the battlefield are kind of helpful too. Also in those chests, usually in places where you have to replay a level and go back and find, ah, something's different. That's where you'll find all the weapons. All yep. 64 weapons of the game that are often unlocked through some arcane thing that you would not know about unless you read a fact. Yeah, like, wait in this map for 15 minutes. <laughs> or kill that enemy there under weird circumstance and stuff like that. Or defeat all these enemies in, in less than a minute. Stuff like that. Yes, Kavya was really having fun designing the appearances of these weapons, I think. Yeah, they are taken from like the old Tower of Druaga rule book of just anything crazy goes. I want to say <clears throat> that apparently the score for this is highly divisive. I What I've heard of it outside of the game is actually kind of interesting, but in the game, what I heard was usually one or two chords replayed dozens of times before it's finally shifted to something else. And that was usually all I could hear over the slaughter of my enemies. And that kind of music just bored me. Outside of the game, it actually does sound a lot better, but in the game, really, really repetitive to me. Yeah, the music is interesting because there's some times where the music is really great. Certain air battles and particular land battles and the ending credit themes and such, there's some really great music. Other times, it's kind of repetitive. It's a kind of complicated, good, bad track in some ways. I think its creation is, often makes a more interesting story than the music itself, which is that Kavya's composers took works from numerous well-known composers of European classical works and just kind of mashed them together to create these Frankensteinian musical compositions, which sounds interesting. And yeah. apparently it is to some. I mean, yeah, you can really hear it in some places. There's this strong vibe of classical works in there, and they can really sound great. I think, like, the Red Mountains has its air battles, for particular, has a really familiar track that's kind of really cool to me, but I can't think. It's been a while since I played through a lot of the stage in this game. So. Right, fair enough. And uh, there is voice acting. It was decent enough that I had no issues with it. It was not so awesome that I have to single out the voice actors for praise. It's just there, and it gets the job done. As I said, I think the Red Dragon does a great job, and yeah, no yeah. one does a bad job. And the, what they do for Mana's creepy voice, or switching between little cute girl voice and the kind of... The, something out of the Omen. Yeah, and something out of the Omen. It's, that kind of works, it's for because the fact it's just so damn creepy. Yeah, you don't usually hear, say, Satan intoning, la 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 la, la 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 la. Yeah. Or a little girl talking about how they're... We're going to bathe in blood tonight. <laughs> uh, any thoughts on this, Trent? I mean, 
mean, not not really. I, I don't remember ever having problems with uh, the voice acting, which is something I've always had problems with when it comes to series like Samurai and Dynasty Warriors. So, I mean, that's that's a great thing in its favor. Um, I didn't find the music um, bad. I don't. I, I I I'm having trouble remembering it to be honest. Um, so maybe it's not tremendously memorable. But I I, I don't remember disliking any of the tracks I heard. Fair enough. How about the visuals? Yeah, they're uh-huh. terrible. Let's just say that. <laughs> I love relying on the radar to to see my enemies in the area because I can't see them up close. Yeah, as I think I kind of got disconnected when I was doing my big rant about the terrible draw distance. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, there's the draw distance is terrible in this game. Well, we can, we can come back to that when we talk about the sequel. Oh, it's even worse than the sequel. <laughs> yes, we, yes, it is. How does it get- yeah. Uh, okay. Before we start talking too much about how I think we're wrapping down with this one, so I just want to say one thing I really, really like about this game, and that's its weapons. Just they're a pain to get, but they're actually kind of cool when you get them because there's I'll all these. That. The weapons are distinct, and changing between them actually makes a noticeable difference in what you do. Yeah, I mean, every weapon has its own slight different variation on the basic combo attacking. It has different special moves. It is a, every weapon has a completely unique spell. A lot of them are kind of pieces together from elements from other spells, but they're mostly unique to each weapon, and there's a lot of the weapons. And what's more, you can build each weapon up across four different levels, and each level has its own appearance. And not in addition to appearance, every weapon has its own story hidden within the weapon menu that just there's a little bit of story about the weapon that kind of unfolds as you bring it to this upgraded to the different levels so you get one paragraph from level one and another paragraph from level two and they're all really interesting and then almost none of them are actually connected to any dragon guard story they're mostly self-contained and a lot of them are really kind of creepy and depressing which fits into the game but yeah that's they're, they're kind of the whole experience for me yep so yeah, I really like the weapon fighting in this game. It's great. It's kind of a shame the later game, the Dragon Guard 2 doesn't keep up with some of the strengths. But well, we'll to... yeah, I think we're pretty close to that. Are you ready yeah. to intro us, Phil? As soon as I find out where the mute button's at. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you don't know, I don't think we can help you. Huh. Hmm. This isn't really to be confused with Drake and Sang, which is an entirely different game series, apparently. Drake and Gar, Drake and Sang. Huh, who would have known? And plus, Draken is totally different. Oh, and Draken, isn't that the game where you play like the dragon that breeds some people too? I thought that was where you played a group of adventurers who run around a gigantic world and uh, they have to fight um, the Silver Surfer. They have to fight the Silver Surfer? Or, or maybe it was uh, Superboy Prime, I don't remember. Mm. I didn't play it. You're going to make me break out my spreadsheet of games. Drake and Sang. I, I got, um, oh wait, that's the PC game. Hold on, I've got to find it. No, 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 where is it at, Drake? Let me just try Drake. Oh, did I throw it? Oh, I might have thrown it out. <laughs> I'll have to Google it. I know there's a, there's another PlayStation game that's on the tip of my tongue, and it's just for the life of me, it's, it's just escaping me. PlayStation. All right, Drake and the Ancient Gates. Draken, D-R-A-K-A-N. So, yeah, there's I had that game, and that's where you kind of play, totally off the track here, but <laughs> that's where you play, like, this chick that eventually gets her own dragon, which sounds really cool, but very similar to some of the shortcomings you guys have listed there. There were issues with camera, muddy graphics, um, and the such. It's it, it's a mediocre game. Um, but anywho, that's... I, I hate this game's camera. I want that to be completely clear. How do you really feel about the camera? 
I want it to roast in hell and the people who programmed it to never have a good night's sleep for the rest of their lives. You know, then there was that game on the PlayStation 3, one of the release titles, Layer. Remember that one? I mean, these dragon games just really have... I mean, it should be a really awesome concept. A game, Any game where you can have control of a big-ass dragon and fry things should be really fun. And they keep screwing it up. Oh, well. Um, dragon Guard... Two was developed again by Kavia and published here in North America, actually, by Ubisoft in Japan by Square Enix, released on February 14th, 2006 here in the United States. This is a single-player action RPG aerial combat game. And it's also rated M for mature audiences only. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a big dragon biting people's heads off. That's pretty mature, right? Roasting people alive. Over an open fire, using them for schmores. Come on, that, that's got to be mature, right? Yes. Find out the worst thing in any of these games. Well, do you want to take the plot, Nathan, or shall I? Do I have to? It's just. It, it involves, you, you know. <laughs> if you want me to take it, the scorn level will be higher. Okay, it's just got to say first off, the main hero is the chosen one, the heroine has amnesia. We're not off to the same great start that Dragon Guard had in being unique and original here. <laughs> yes, so, our hero is named No Way. That is how it is pronounced. No Way. Isn't that a great start? Yes, it is. I no always wanted way. to have somebody call me No Way. No Way. <laughs> not that bad. <laughs> no Way. <laughs> yes, and our heroine is Mana, the child empress of the last game, and she's an adult now, and she... Yeah, the game actually doesn't make this clear. She just seems to have forgotten why the hell she's opposing all these people running around trying to uphold the Knights of the Seal order. And Noe has a friend in his Knights of the Seal occupation. Her name is Eris. And because the writers of this game were stupid, Eris, even though she saw Noe being attacked by the head of the Knights of the Seal, has no idea that he might in fact be you know, not responsible and not guilty of attacking back. You know, hey, hey, Eris, look at this. Look at this giant hole in me. Do you think I made that myself? No, I didn't. Well, no, she does not rejoin you for the bulk of the game because that would be helpful. Look yeah, not much. Also, Muzzle mentioned we've talked about people being stupid. No one in this, it's only been 18 years since the last game, and no one in the world has a clue what happened back then or how it's connected to the present era. Okay. Kaim is right around being called the One-Eyed Man. Everyone knows who Kaim is. Everyone knows who the One-Eyed Man is. No one apparently knows that the One-Eyed Man is Kaim. He wasn't though... exactly indiscreet in the first game. No, he's not exactly hiding who he is either. He's using the same sword. He looks the exact same. He's still has. He's still mute. It's <laughs> it's him. How many ridiculously powerful swords and who like killing tons of people are there in that world? Apparently more than we thought, if this is so hard to pin down. Okay, no way. Get this. No way, despite being trained by the Knights of the Seal for the last three years, is even more clueless than the rest of the world about everything going on because he has to have it all explained to him. You don't get any tutorials telling you such and such happened. The Knights of the Seal have taken over protection of the <clears throat> of the seals of the planet and they're guarding them forevermore. No, he has to be told this because apparently during the three years he was training as a Knight of the Seal, he never learned it. This speaks either a man who is incredibly forgetful or so closed-minded that he never bothered to ask anything not absolutely directly related to his line of work. 
Either way, he's yeah, an idiot. Yeah, he's, he's never even been in the places that he's been guarding as a knife for years. And he has to ask, what is it even for? And uh, it's, it's really, really stupid. And you'd think Noe, after three years of working towards being a Knight of the Seal, would have some idea of, you know, what the Knights of the Seal do. But the first time he goes out on a mission, it's a revelation. <gasps> They're being cruel to all those villagers. How can they do such things? I don't know if I support their action. Be like they're they're being cruel to all these villagers. No way. <laughs> oh, you went there, Trent. You had to go that was there. Awful. Dumb name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know this is the tr- this is the path we must travel when we're talking about Dragon Guard Two. I would not have been able to take anything about this game seriously. The entire game, I would be like, "What's happening to the princess? No way." <laughs> Dragons are attacking. No way. <laughs> Um, okay, I, I have to lay this out here right now. I remember looking at a GameSpot review for this, and the voice acting was praised. Now, I've listened to the voice acting for this game. The voice acting is like this. Eris, do you really think that we can get over there and save these people in time? I don't know why you would ever doubt me on this score. See, they just talk with British accents. They don't intone much. They don't alter their volume. They have no real sense of emotion. But because they talk with British accents, that GameStop, that GameSpot reviewer gave it a good score for voice acting. Okay. I'm sorry. British accent, I'll, good good voice acting. Not synonymous automatically. I'll disagree with this on one ma- very, very major, a few major points. I do think the voice acting in this game isn't that bad. It, there's some decent emotional intonation, mostly a bit from No Way in some of his better scenes, but definitely especially from this game's dragon, Legna, No Way's adoptive father, who can't find the trend for the last game, isn't a awesome character. I, I'm like, not dumping on everyone. Legna does Legna does fine. I'll give him that. But most of the people just they just yeah. have British accents and they don't vary their tone or their volume much, and they just kind of stay quiet, even in moments when you'd expect people to perhaps alter their volume and modulation a bit. You just tried to kill me. How dare you do that? I I cannot <laughs> understand why you would do such a thing. I'm going to have to kill you now. Yeah, that's definitely a problem with a lot of the well, the lieutenants. And, and like Eris and a lot of the minor characters, they're pretty bad. Fortunately, some of the major characters like Noe and Gizmore and Legna are better. But... Yeah, Gizmore's fine. Gizmore, incidentally, is the commander of the Knights of the Seal who, well, just... what do you know? When, when, when Noe proves himself capable of working in concert with his dragon Legna to clear out large, fe- large fields of monsters... That's the cue for Gizmore to try and kill him, because that's what he did with, uh, what's his face? Oror, Noe's other adoptive father. Yeah, Legna is also the adoptive father of Noe, for reasons that will be explained at the end of the game in hilarious fashion. Yeah, and, okay, so basically, Noe is an orphan, kind of. He was adopted when he was just a baby by Legna, the blue dragon. And much, much later on, (laughs) by Oror, the the then commander of the Knights of the Seal. And raised to be a knight after that point. But Legna still stuck around being Hindoe's father even after Or and stayed around even after Or is dead. So Or is just this dead guy who's shows who's mentioned a lot in the game, but never shows up ever, not even in a flashback. And really isn't all that important to the story at all in the long run. Also, we should mention the presentation values have taken a major hit. <clears throat> the FMVs look okay, but most of the scenes are just still shots of yeah. in-game models talking to each other. Yes, yeah, these kind of bad camera stills around here, and they okay. don't—they don't move half the time. 
Wait, you're saying the camera's even bad during cutscenes? <laughs> yes. Well, it should. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it, you know, it, like here, here's Mana. She's supposedly tied to a pillar of burning stakes, and she escapes. Wouldn't you like to see that? Well, too bad you don't get to see it. You just hear people describe it to you because the screen is just giving you a still frame. <laughs> it's a, like a step above a visual novel, but awesome. not really awesome. a great step. How did she escape? No way! <laughs> oh no, what have we done? It wasn't us, Nathan. It was Kavya. Kavya knew that this would happen. Right, Trent? <laughs> they knew this day would come, and I would meme their game. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> it's completely excusable when we're talking about <laughs> no way. <laughs> um, Eris, Mana, no way. Who's our fourth character? Yurik. Yurik, who dies just because uh, he's got one of the seals in him, and yeah. Um, yeah. Basically, once you team up with Mana to become and rebel against the seal, you need to go kill the lieutenants and destroy their seals of protecting. And yes, and you don't even get to sense. fight the first lieutenant. You don't even get to fight. Mana kills him in a cutscene. Yeah, which is kind of annoying, really. It's like you don't even get to fight him. Then there's another one who's an aerial battle and a ground mission, which doesn't work. Okay, yeah, there's a slight change to the aerial mechanics of Drittengard 2, where what is nice is that you can uh, slow down Legna's pace so that you can really get in there and blast fireballs over the place instead of having to go back and forth. But Kavya thought... Also, now you've charged homing shots and incident ground missions, which is kind of fun to watch. And no longer will Legna get set flying away by a couple of archer shots. He'll get hurt, but but he won't go away immediately. Also, the magic system from the previous game, where you have these giant, incredibly devastating wide-area flame attacks for Exeter Dragon, have been replaced by the Dragon Overdrive system, which you get a charge to engage and use all kinds of different spectacular attacks to watch, like, Legna eat an enemy, or smash down with his claws, or hit them with a giant tornado and such, which is a lot more visually impressive and kind of cool, but also a lot less effective. Yeah. Okay, the other thing about that has changed about aerial combat is that Sometimes, in some areas, you get to have the question of height come into, the, come into play. Legna needs to go higher or lower in order to get through a hole or put you on this platform. Or for that boss battle you were just mentioning, you need to position yourself in just the right spot so that Legna can pick you up, take you across the water, while the boss is shooting at you, so that you can get on the other bridge, kill the enemies there so, to break the shield, then pick up Legna again, Go across the bridge again, kill more enemies that have revived the shield, and then go to the br- other bridge again to kill the rest of the enemies that are blocking the shield. And then you need to fight in an incredibly cramped environment against an enemy even using the aerial combat mechanics, even though there might be you know, still enemies on the ground shooting at you. Yes, and you need to be very careful that since the water only takes a part of the area, and the rest of it is this lower-level gravel pit or whatever, you do not go down there. Because if you get down there, you will find it really hard to get back up. Because gauging height is not easy. It just isn't. Yeah. And this really does remind me of Panzer Dragoon in a not-so-good way. <laughs> I see. Uh, definitely, this game, I can applaud its ambition for, you know... Wait, I'm probably getting ahead of myself here. I'm talking about the gameplay stuff. Which oh, yeah, yeah. Let's keep up with the plot. Our next, the last, the rest of the lieutenants have very little personality. Uh, I mean, you, we're once, just fighting the the lady who was fired through six racks of goth clothing, <laughs> and then we yeah. fight um, yeah, the, guy. the guy who complains about how beautiful he is, and he sends yeah. this army of ugly gnomes at you who are his pact partners, and that they're kind of annoying. 
And then Yurik, well, he's also one of them, but instead of fighting him because he's on your side, you have to fight Kaim. That's yeah, actually Kaim. a decent fight. Yeah, that's a good fight. Kaim is kind of cool in this game. He just, you know, he's one of the decent characters in these two games, really. And it's a, there's a great fight against him. It's really spectacular and cool if you fight in this flower field with the flower petals being kicked up and sparks from the fireballs from his, the flame trails of his attacks. He's jumping around, and it's kind of a tough, fun fight. Like the high point of the game, I think. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it this. The boss battles are interesting. I would enjoy them more if the mechanics were smoothed out, but we'll get yeah, to that. At least the camera works in the boss battles because it automatically locks onto the boss, so you don't have to yes. worry about the boss battles. What a great idea, having the camera lock onto the enemy. Why didn't that ha- show up anywhere else in the game? I don't know. Well, I mean, lock on wouldn't <laughs> work. You're waiting through like 300 guys, but... It would be really helpful, though, if, you know, one of them is really close and about to hit you and you might need to see it. But uh, again, we'll get there. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, then then Gizmore, and he is guarding the last seal after you've beaten him already because he's uh, he made a pact with a Shadow or something. It's okay. never explained it's, what he made a pact with. I think it's, it's not only explained, but in the original Tracking God, there's these really annoying enemies who show up on occasion who they appear and there's a timer and they switch between two different modes. He made a pact with those. those. I think it's yeah, he made a pact with one of those. Yeah, I remember those. You remember these things, Trent? They show up in occasional spots. There's a timer going. They'll whoop your ass really hard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not, we're not just speculating, bad. though. The, the game honestly gives you no clue. You've, you've beaten Gizmore. He should be dead now because... They, they kind of do a fake-out since they, they they kind of are sitting up this entire time. Oh, the lieutenant of the sea of time is going to be Sire, who's the current hierarch, and his power is time because that's a big part from the last game. You can fight his wizards in that tower, but... Uh, also you can in the, face the tower, and but nope, Gizmore at the end, kind of out of nowhere, which is like I thought I was gonna fight Siri here. That's kind of weird. Also, in that early bit when Gizmore tries to kill you, and some hidden power awakens in no way, um, no way chops off one of his arms, which you'd think would kind of render him not too intimidating as a villain. Certainly not to be used in two boss fights. But what do I know about boss design? Well, it's, you know, Gizmore is kind of a freaky guy who's like made out of shadows and stuff, but. Oh, well. So, let's see. Then... Yeah, basically, after that point, you've broken all the five seals. Uh, those that are created oh, no, no, by Nights of the there, There's one left, which is Angelus, the dragon. Yeah, that's a, the five seals were created to hold... It, they were created by Knights of the Seal to hold the, uh, the new goddess, Angelus, who... Okay, basically, between the two games, Verdele, the old hierarch, the one who made... Both Furiai and the red dragon from the last game, Angelus, into goddesses. He, for some reason, decided to make the seal stronger to make the burden on the goddess much worse. I guess for profitability reasons, who knows? This pissed off Kaim, so Kaim killed him, which is kind of an amusing thing since Verdele was such a jackass in the first game. You kind of just have to cheer Kaim on for doing this. Yeah, all he did was talk to you in this wimpy voice. Oh, Kaim, why are you doing this? Please stop. And he wouldn't shut up. Yeah, and it's useless. And so, yeah, Kaim killed him. You have to cheer that on for Kaim. But it seems poor Angelus has gone kind of crazy in her years of torment and suffering. So, yeah, you have to fight and kill her. Otherwise, she's going to get burned down all of the world. This also does beg the question of how, with 18 years, Kaim failed to find her already. He's not the well, most he's, subtle person. Well, he's trying to. It's just the seals are holding her place. So presumably, the seals are keeping him out and... Yeah, he's trying to blow up the seals. That's an important part of the plot. So, but he just wasn't quite capable of it. But you were able to. Oh, another another wonderful thing. Early in the game, the Knights of the Seal are really happy to have No Way and Legna around because they got a dragon, massive firepower, blow up the monsters. 
and then the instant no way instant you- leaves, they, they they pull a gigantic aerial fleet out of their butts somewhere. and They have biplanes that come after you with homing <laughs> missiles. Yeah, you'd think with technology like that, just one dragon wouldn't make too much of a difference in their plans. I mean, this giant aerial fortress is like the size of a Hindenburg that has <laughs> like 20 cannons on them. You have to like, fight with two of these at once. Mm-hmm. No way! <laughs> I'm sorry, I haven't played the game. That's as much as I can contribute to this conversation. <laughs> uh, maybe you can contribute more once we start talking about the gameplay and how it's uh, similar, improved in some ways, and not improved in others. Yeah. But we haven't gotten to the wonderful, wonderful revelations of the climax after so much meaningless babble, most of which boils down to, uh, oh, Mana's scared of Kine, even though she doesn't remember who he is, because... Uh, Suddenly, this this really tough woman who's been beating the crap out of everything in her path runs away screaming, and you lose control of her for a while because the game developer said so. That's understandable, kind of, considering she'd have some trauma around time, but still, yeah. It, you can make a case for it, but when I'm comparing it to how I would like the game to play, which is... There's so many shortcomings to this game. Yeah. And, yeah, most of these middle chapters, they're just, here, let's go find the, the lieutenant guarding this seal and um a whole lot of useless babble between that this is a useless babble fest of a game yeah sadly the story is not not very focused and kind of isn't that great sadly anyways getting on with the story like after you defeat the goddess angelus the red dragon is dead kaim dies with her it's kind of a touching scene they play some music from the first game the world goes crazy again because you just killed the goddess who keeps the world sane like way to break it heroes and so yeah, you now have to start about all kinds of crazy, creepy monsters that are dropped from pods in the ceiling. It's you have to go around trying to figure out something about how to save this insane world. And yes, so they're, they're transparent green palette reswaps of other enemies from the game. Uh, yeah, palette swaps. Because palette swaps are good business. And the annoying fact is they drop from the ceilings and inks. They come in decent numbers. They fight you in close corridors, and they happen to be strong enough to. Well, these things, attack, uh, these things can attack you and kill you in a single attack. It's really annoying. This game is, can be hard uh, because just characters die so fast. But I can get into gameplay ahead of time. So yeah, the world goes insane. And so Legna, the blue dragon, says, oh, let's go to this place. So you go to this giant dragon shrine protected by sacred dragons. Uh, and I there it reveals really you did, the truth. This really did remind me of Panzer Dragoon. Yeah, it's like kind of a cool stage, actually. I like the give some trains to the aerial dogfight and cool backdrop. But and the secret dragons are actually pretty fun opponents to fight. Dragon fight is in general quite good. This is the the best fight in the, the previous game is the aerial dogfight between the red dragon and the black dragon that Inuit rides. And so, hey, it's and you know a lot of dragon dogfights generally be quite good. And the Angel's fight's pretty good if I remember correctly. And yeah, it's kind of a high point of aerial dogfighting in this game. Anyways, yeah. Anyways, you go into the dragon shrine led by Legna, and there he reveals the truth. You see, Legna is actually a recurring character. It's not outright stated in this game, but it's pretty much just short of outright stated that he's in fact the black dragon I was just talking about who's a cool fight from the last game. He is the the dragon who made a pact with Inuart, who was kind of implied to be the dragon that killed Kaim's parents and made him go turn into a bloodthirsty monster out of revenge for. He's, in fact, been playing a giant chess game, a mastermind behind all of this. So he's basically been manipulating all of these events to lead to this one thing of that. You see, Noe is not a normal person. He's, in fact, something called the New Breed, which is 
It's not even explained what the new breed is. The fact that dragons have been trying to create the new breed for some time, and they did so by, well, it's not outright stated, but kind of implied, fusing together Inuart and Fairy Ice Corps together inside one of the seeds of its direction, or something like that. So, yeah, Noe is kind of the cloned mutant son of Inuart and Fairy Eye. No way! And he... <laughs> <laughs> and he has the power of dragons put into a human form and he is the key to making remaking the world the dragon way yeah so the dragons can basically rebel against the gods and take the power to rule the world for themselves aka kind of like that ending three from the last game but you're he wants you to help out this time Oh, and I should mention this chapter, the last chapter in the game, is when Eris finally realizes, hey, you know, my friend, you know, the guy I spent all that time with in training and who we, I was really close with, I even confided this, this little disgusting fact that you probably didn't need to know. Well, I'm going to come back now, even though everyone in the Knights of the Seal is dead and I should have realized my error long, long ago. And help you in the last chapter, where unless you go out of your way to de- to delay the narrative, um, you won't get to use her. <laughs> yeah, and uh, meanwhile, everyone thought she's been dead this entire time, so it's not like you're even looking forward to this moment. Just, oh, I thought she was dead. Wow, she's suddenly not dead. Huh. And in the climactic ending of, well, ending one, which is the one I saw, No Way decides to fight against his fate. He will fight Legna for the freedom to not remake the world according to dragons, but to let humans have another shot. And okay. what do you and know? he only does this because Siri comes out of nowhere and says, oh, hey, by the way, it'd be bad if the dragons win. It's like, up to this point, Noah is totally cool with the idea of helping Legna fulfill his destiny. But suddenly Siri says, no, you shouldn't. And Noah says, okay, let's go Siri, even though you betray my father and kill him. That, uh, this seems like a perfect moment to say it, Trent. No way. <laughs> yeah. And, no way. And, and Eris yeah. decides that she will take on the massive burden of being the new seal goddess. Yep. And and, and Mana and No Way just they're they love each other now, I guess, even though that's they have the depth of a kiddie pool. Yeah. Seriously, look at look at this love affair. Do you feel the passion between these two still images from the game? I don't really. Well, I don't let's just say, hey, the, uh, the romance works okay. I guess it's not horrible. No, it's not to the point. It doesn't even give me enough to say this was terrible. It's just there, and yeah, no way goes after her because he thinks she's cute, and she accepts it as, oh, thanks, you're helping me, and now I guess I love you. There's really uh, nothing else to it. Sadly, no. Again, the plot could be so much better in this game. Alex and Luna, or Hero and Lucia, this is not. <laughs> Sorry, I, I just dumped Lunarar in there. Probably shouldn't have. So, that is ending one. Ending yeah. two can only be oh, achieved... Uh, yeah, I'm gonna, one. Okay, I'm going to cover this, the next ending part, since this is my biggest beef with the entire game right here. You Go see. Ahead. Tracking Guard 1 has this nice thing where you can replay any chapter you want from at any time. You can play through, basically go through the story however you want to. Once you've cleared through the mission once, you can replay it whenever you want. Dragon yeah, Guard that, means, that means you can go through the specific missions that lead to extra content, which the game tells you is located here. Here, replay this mission and you get to new content, and you don't have to go through the whole thing again to get a new ending. Yep, that's... That's not exactly how Dragon Guard 2 goes. <laughs> that you 
play through the entire game linearly. You can do, unlock a couple side free expeditions, but that stuff's happening halfway through the game. With this. Also, even if you were not playing on normal, if you chose easy the first time, too bad. It's going to hard for your second playthrough. You have no choice. You get to play hard now. And if you do get the second ending and you want the third ending, you have to play through it again and it goes to extra hard. Totally. Yeah, it's just flat, straight, linear. You can't go back. You can't adjust the difficulty. You can't play the missions you want. If you really like that one mission, you have to play through the entire game again on a higher difficulty to ever see it again. It's horrible. I hate it so much. Sounds like they were actually trying to make you hate this game. Maybe, and the problem is, okay, sad things that you think, okay, I'm going to play this entire game again, maybe something will change. And there doesn't be a couple added really minor scenes in here. Yeah, that, that, that thing I mentioned earlier, um, you get an extra scene. I just found this on YouTube willy-nilly. I wasn't even really looking for it. Eris confides in no way. They're both in training, and she mentions that, well, you're a boy, I'm a girl, we're physically different. See, I've just started bleeding for some reason. Did you really need to know that? Probably not, but the game tells you anyway. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm trying to keep. I knew the whole it. Dragon Guard Two experience. I, wait, wait! I finally got a contribution. I knew it. I knew girls were always gross. Now I know. No, the last the last time a woman was like, "I'm bleeding." By the way, I was like, "I'm leaving." <laughs> I hate to bring South Park into this, but Mr. Garrison always says, "Well, I don't think I can trust anything that bleeds for five days and doesn't die." <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So you get a few extra scenes like that in your second playthrough, and then presumably a few more in your third playthrough, assuming you yeah, can I get... I can't even remember very well, but I played this game all three times to get all the endings, and the second ending is, you know, okay, it actually makes a little bit more sense than the first ending, since it doesn't have Siri pop out of nowhere to say, oh, you should just do what you're doing, and here's a Kree. Instead, they say, oh, let's just go with Legna's plan and try to... And try to fight the gods by having Noe hop inside one of the seeds of resurrection called the Bone Casket. So they try to have Noe hop in the Bone Casket. The Bone Casket apparently disagrees because it levitates off the ground as this giant white pale sphere and starts sending out giant energy waves of death at you that really hurt. <laughs> and you have to get past those and then you can at long last hit it a couple times by dodging aims and thus you've managed to subdue this inanimate object. Which then promptly floats up and shines and possesses mana, and then you have to. She flies up into the sky, you have to hop on Legna's back, and then you have to blow up with dragon fires. She sends out more energy waves at you, where she's been possessed by the seed. Yeah. And thus you get the ending, and with. Okay, then you actually get. Let's actually find the better endings. It's like you got to set, oh, mana's died, but instead, let's have all the surviving knights of the seal hop on dragon back and fight a giant epic war against the gods. And you don't actually get to fight it, you just see the, like, the hint of it, the opening, and that's how it ends. It's like, no, they, they, they only added, like, one extra mission in, the, in for the entire second playthrough. It's so frustrating. But, oh, wow. I, I, yeah. Well, Gotta bring him back from that hole and cast him on Nathan Resurrection spell. Whoa. Okay, I think he's back. Yeah, and, uh, well... Go ahead. Okay, and eventually, if you play through the game one more whole time, you hit on extra the, hard. On extra hard, and it really is hard this time. And you make it find unlock, finally unlock the last couple free expeditions, which, since you can only fight them on extra hard mode, are really damn hard. 
And only by that can you actually get some of the final weapons of the game, which happens to be my favorite weapon from the last game, which is hidden behind at the very last free expedition, the very highest difficulty mode. Uh, but so and it's, it's, they actually weakened it from its previous game, which is kind of the final insult on injury. Anyways, at the end of all of that, you get the true ending of the game, which is basically the first two endings matched together, so they actually make sense this time. So first you go in there, then you go, oh, it's to fight the bone casket. You subdue the bone casket. Then, like, it fuses the mana, but arbitrarily, instead of her being possessed by it, she, instead it just kind of fades away inside her. And then Siri pops up, and then you go off to fight Legna, except this time mana kisses no way, and thus they actually explain why he turns into the new breed and can fly around to the sky uh, I, I, glowing. <laughs> Which, it, it yes. just happened with that explanation the first time. This time it's actually explained. Yeah, I should mention this, Trent. The final battle for your first ending, No Way has attained a seemingly Super Saiyan powers. He's flying around in the air, and he's his hair is all spiky and turned another color. Well, of course, he's partially dragon, isn't he? <laughs> he is. <laughs> the hell is going on with this plot? <laughs> and so, anyways. Not a whole lot for 90% of its length, and then suddenly <laughs> the weird crap gets thrown in. Yeah, and anyways, at the end of this final third playthrough, you kill Legna again, and you think, okay, maybe now we'll go on to fight the gods or something. Nope, that's it. That's the end. Not even a single new final boss of the third playthrough. Just nothing new. It's just you replay the two of the major missions in the last two playthroughs, and that's it. And now you're finding, oh, we've defeated the gods, everything is peaceful, we don't even need seals or goddesses anymore. And you're wondering, why? That's not explained. The gods are still there. There's no justification for needing to replace them. You beat a dragon, you destroyed the bone casket, but you didn't change a damn thing we are acting like it's all over and everything's peaceful. It makes no sense. It's horrible. Oh, Kavya, it's like your scriptwriter for the first game was fired and, th- and deported, and you had to make do with whoever was left on staff after hours with, with so much work on the docket that this is the best you could come up with. <laughs> Yeah, I'll just say it. The, first, the second and third endings would be disappointing if you didn't have to replay through, replay through the game twice in order to see them. Okay, let's uh, let's talk about the actual game now. I'll give it this. It moves faster. Yeah, in general, it, you, you run faster, things happen more quickly, the battle overall is improved in a lot of little ways. Yeah, there's a lot. You can do a lot more than just wham on one button and occasionally roll around to get to the side you can jumping actually matters and uh when you get hit into the air you have to quickly make sure to turn that into a downward attack or else you just fall on the ground and take damage that way which is and and or alternatively kind of get thrown into the thing where you're thrown into the air then knocked the ground then knocked at the air before you can actually even get up so you get kind of stun locked until you die which happened yeah. to me and you can buy items this time. You can only carry a few into battle, but you can heal yourself using those items instead of relying on enemy drops, which are much rarer. Because it's much harder to combo enemies because there's much fewer of them this time. There's like Relatively. one enemy count overall. I wouldn't go that far. That that whole getting into the tower that we just talked about where Belgar is at the top, uh, there are, I counted at least 700 people I had to kill to get in there. Okay, yeah, there are some exceptions, but like a lot of the big open field battles have much fewer enemy counts. Instead of finding whole groups of enemies, you might find a scattered group of one or two. They actually chase after you in the big clumps this time. They're not in these ordered groups anymore, but... 
which will make you rue the draw distance where you keep thinking, I, I thought something was chasing me, but, oh, I guess it got more than five feet away. Now I can't see it anymore. Yeah, the graphics are better, but at the cost of the draw distance is worse, which means that you, there are enemies, in, when you're flying around on Legna's back, there are times where you can attack further than you can actually see. It's like, you can only, like, the enemies will only show up right beneath you, but you can actually, that's inside your basic attack range, and it's really awkward. And here, I'm going to come up with my greatest gripe about this system, because it is improved, it is faster, it, there's more to do than just mash on the attack button endlessly. Um, no way uses swords, Mana uses rods, Uruk uses axes, and Eris uses spears. Each of these weapons is good against certain enemies. That's a good idea! Here's what the game does. You get to use Eris in the first couple chapters of the game, then she vanishes for 90% of the rest, and anything that is normally weak to spears... Too bad. She's not with you anymore. You have to go the hard way. Mana is good against certain things, particularly mages, which no way has a hard time with. Well, that's too bad because she'll get she has that whole panic attack thing and then she gets kidnapped later on because, you know, she's a woman. She has to get kidnapped. This is this is the heart of a beat em up. Let's just resurrect the Drubble Dragon plot device at one point. And oops, that's too bad. She's gone for those points. And Yurik, his axe is good against particularly big monsters that you might want to have an, an ace in, your, in the sleeve against. But nope, after he dies, he's gone forever. You don't get them back until you do New Game Plus and it automatically goes to hard. That's when you get to use all four simultaneously. Isn't that nice? Yeah, you could only get to use them all at the same time in the second and third playthroughs. And it's kind of nice when you get to, but up until the point, it's kind of hard. I will correct the fact that the the one advantage they give you is that mana actually um, the manual doesn't say this it's not actually explained properly but she's actually effective against both uh, her own enemies and she also has all the effectiveness and weaknesses of Eris on top of that so she's good against both undead and mages but at the same time weak to both monsters and soldiers so she's got the double the strength advantages and double the weaknesses is which okay. covers her a bit for the things but still has I seem to remember Eris being really good against the undead I fought <clears throat> near the end oh yeah she is but. Mana, Mana, and Mana wasn't as good against them. Well, Mana has the same effectiveness bonus, she just doesn't have the same attack power sort of thing. She just has really low attack power and hit points, which is kind of annoying, since she's your only recourse against mages, and they can do it. they're really hard to dodge attacks of, and thus you have to rely on your, we, your character with the lowest defense against the enemy's the best offense. <laughs> yeah, I usually just ended up crab-walking and blocking, which it works if you're patient and can try to sprint towards them when the, between their bursts, but that yeah. gets really dicey. Yeah, especially when you're talking about the Courtyard Free Expedition, where you just fight army of mage after army of mage after army of mage, and they top out with like 30 of series magicians, which is just awful. And let's see. Apparently the camera has been improved because it actually moves when you move. What a novel idea. Yeah, and it locks on to bosses, all kind of things. It, it does lock on to the bosses so that you have a fixed viewpoint when you're fighting a boss. It always points toward that boss, which is a good thing considering how quickly you need to move for those. However, for certain enemies like those gigantic knights that you really need to keep an eye on – um, it really would be nice if you could hold the camera there instead of, you know, backing away for a second, turning around so that you can get into a better position, and then, oops, you can't see the enemy anymore. Here's hoping that you're in the right spot, or else it's going to whack you in the back, and ouch, that does hurt. That, yeah, that's just an issue. There's a lot of issues, sadly. I, I admit also, that I, I haven't yet found a 3D camera in an action game that I praise uncategorically, but this sure isn't it. Yeah, 
Uh, also, there's the fact that this game, you know, it looks better. The basic combat is better. Like, you can knock enemies in the air and juggle them midair, then smash them down with a big dropping sword attack and stuff like that. At the same time, the weapon variety isn't there from the previous game. You've got a lot of the same weapons, but... Like, More than half of the weapons are swords for no way. Everybody and, else does get a good, a, an okay selection, but nowhere near no way's selection. Yeah, nowhere near no way's. At the same time, half of his weapons all have the same spell. And yeah. unlike the last game, there's no variation whatsoever in basic attack combos. I mean, you can get different special move, moves with different weapons. It's a very small pool of these. And the basic normal hitting square repeatedly attack chain is the same for every weapon of the same type. And there's not the same, like, seven or eight categories of weapons from the previous game either. There's just only five. Yeah. So there's. And two of those are no ways. And uh, two of those no ways. <clears throat> heavy swords and light swords. And because, you know, the different characters have different health bars, so you'll be, want to be constantly changing between them. That means you're never going to build up no ways weapons. Because, like in the previous game, you need to kill enemies with a weapon to level it up. I'm not sure if we covered this before, but yeah. You need to kill enemies with a weapon to level it up, and that involves killing a lot of enemies. Although at least it does measure the experience you gain for kills instead of the sheer number of kills in this game. Yeah, so it's no, so it's actually better to fight higher level enemies than to farm the lowest level enemies in the game over and over and over like you need to do if you want to level up weapons the first game. Um, let's see here. I'll say that I liked the music in this one better than the first. <clears throat> Several of the tracks were actually kind of catchy to me. Yeah, the music isn't bad. It's less memorable to me, but that's because I didn't play it as much and replaying them for to get ready for this. It's I mean, there's some good tracks in there. Nothing that sticks out of mind is great. It's like it's, uh, the Growing Wings theme from the previous game. But. Yeah. Well, Trent, have we sold you on Drakengard two? Not even a little bit. <laughs> I thought <laughs> you were going to end it. I thought you were going to respond with uh, our favorite catchphrase of this. No way. Uh, <laughs> it, it, the thing is, I remember I was working on Blockbuster when this game came out, and I had played the first game, and I thought, you know, this is a game that I really didn't enjoy. I, I don't really think it sold that many copies. I don't know anyone else who could honestly say that they had a great time with it. So it's probably just going to be a one-off, and I'll never see anything else of it. And we got a game in, and, and I was pricing games, and I was like, Drakengard 2? And then I looked down, at it, and it said published by Ubisoft. And I was like, it, it was it was weird, because it was published by Ubisoft, and it was a, a Square Enix game, and it was developed by Cavia. And I was thinking to myself, well, there's no way I'm touching this. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I now after hearing um, so many elements of the gameplay changes for better and worse, as well as the narrative direction, I don't I don't think I'll really want to play the game. No way. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I guess we might as well do a couple of wrap up points on this one. First off, I'm actually kind of rather like the Japanese title for this one. Sure, it's got Dragon Dragoon, but the subtitle Love Red Ambivalence Black is kind of strange and kind of catchy to me and actually rather appropriate to the game. It since, sounds like know. an exploitation flick from the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> that would probably have been more entertaining, honestly. <laughs> I can just see it being a Bruce Lee ripoff. Uh, <laughs> starring honestly, Bruce, wouldn't that be more Bruce fun Black. than what we described? <laughs> yeah, no way. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> also, it comes to mind that we didn't cover the worst part of the Dragon Card when we were talking about it. We kind of meant to, but saved it for later and didn't get to it. And that's the final map at the end of ch Chapter 5. Oh, yes. The one where I actually did almost run out of time because... Oh, dear. 
it just there are just so many enemies to kill. No, I'm not sorry, I meant the ending five, you know. The... Oh, ending five, okay. Oh yes, the weapon collection, yes. Go. No, past well past the weapon collection. What the weapon collection isn't that bad if you've been gathering them up to that point and look up on the fact. I think it's like at the, if you gather all of the weapons needed to get reach the ending, to reach ending five, you must get through the final chapter, which is you think, oh, you've descended down into Tokyo. The giant queen of the gods is there before you. Must fight her. You'd think you'd use this gameplay if you used up into the entire rest of the game so far. Nope, you don't. Instead, you sing. The enemy sings. You sing. It's a well, it's a rhythm game. They send out white rings. You must match with your white rings. They send black rings. You must match with your black rings. Inks. You are making you me so up at happy all? that I did not try to do this. Oh, this is horrible. It. There are no words for how horrible this is. It there, this is the hardest rhythm game that's ever going to be made. You mess up once, you die and must start it over from the beginning. It's the quick time event from hell. At the very end of this, thirty seconds to go, they barrage a constant stream of like five eight to seven a second of these, and you must match them perfectly, or else you must die and start over from the beginning. It's the hardest thing in the entire game. It's harder than anything in Dragon Guard Two. It is awful. The you're not selling me on going back to try this, Nathan. <laughs> Just, if you hate yourself, try this. That's, that's all I'll say. If I hate myself, I can ram my head into the wall and do it a lot faster and less expensively. <laughs> yeah, and at the end of this, your reward for doing this incredibly hard, incredibly stupid challenge is watching the Red Dragon get blown up by the Japanese Self-Defense Force. As I said, it ruined my day. How about now, Trent? Mm. You feel like going back to experience that? Not, not in particular, no. I can find better wastes of time. <laughs> I, I submit the aforementioned ramming the head into the wall. <laughs> you would probably get around the same experience. Okay. <laughs> hmm. Well. So how much are those going for, Phil? In, in case people want no, to... No, I don't think they want to know. I just listened to you guys for the last good solid, I don't know, let's take a look at the clock here, an hour and a half. And you have convinced me that not only do I not want to play this, but I really don't even want to look up the price. Because no even if someone was paying me, I wouldn't take it. Okay, the Shop Tracking Card is almost worth it just for the story, just because it's so different and weird. And Yeah, that is easily the best part of Drakengard, the narrative. Yeah, it's like the Tracking Card Two. No, the narrative is bad. It's a tragedy. But Tracking Card One, the narrative is interesting. And... Oh well, it is a tragedy in both the the, the literal story and <laughs> and the unfortunate nature of the game itself. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Um. Yeah. So no, we're we're no, we're just not going to look it up. We're not going but to insult. There are people who liked these games. I don't know where they are, or who un, not only liked them, but liked them so much that they've devoted themselves to this. Wh who wrote the fact on Game Facts of this? The Drakengard Maniac. That is what this Game Facts guy calls himself. These people exist, Phil. You have to cater to the people who might decide. That sounds awesome. What? And then, and then you can, well, and then you can write into us and say, "I thought it sounded awesome, but you guys were totally right, and I repent of my wrongs right now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry." Is, yep. Wouldn't it all be worth it for that, Phil? Mm, no, no. I would okay. say I like Dragon Guard Two enough to actually play through it three times. It probably wasn't worth it, but yeah, I don't know how you managed to do that, Nathan. It was yeah, all I, I could do to get through it. once. <laughs> When I saw what I would have to do in a second playthrough, I just said, 
You know what? I spent so much time screaming at this game earlier. I'm not going to go through this anymore. Please tell me you played through near that many times. No, I haven't had the chance yet. I only beat it once so far. He doesn't have a PlayStation 3, so Mike wouldn't played it. Uh, speaking of, near is finally near. So let us take a break, and we'll come back, and it'll be much nearer. So hold on for just a moment. Get something to eat. talk about Nier. This one is also developed by Kavia. Should be Caviar. All they're missing is an R at the end, and that would be so much better. Published by Square Enix. Uh, this was released on the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360 here in North America on April 27, 2010. This is a single-player action RPG experience for your PlayStation 3 and Xbox that I just said. Anyways, so... Um, I'm going to let you guys have the floor again because this is another one of those games that I really haven't played. I'm, I'm hoping that this one's going to be a little bit more positive because <laughs> you guys made me so sad that during the break, I had to drink like half a bottle of vodka just to make the pain go away. Just from listening to you. I don't even know how you guys handled the pain. I mean, actually playing through it. So can you feel, can you feel your extremities at all now, Phil? Well, the toes are kind of fading away, but, uh. Yeah, I can hold my liquor. I'm, I'm good. Okay. All right. So, uh, so Nier, though, is a game that I uh, did rush out. I didn't get those other two games, guys, because I read reviews. So, and while you guys were much more detailed because you suffered through the punishment, um, yeah, the reviews were enough to scare me off of those two games. Nier, however, I, I picked this one up for two reasons. One is, I believe it was Glenn who told me it was a, you know, gameplay-wise, it was a pretty good and fun game, and he enjoyed it, and Glenn I... He has told me that, too. Yeah, and Glenn I tend to enjoy the most games, uh, or tend to enjoy the same games. Uh, but uh, the second reason was, in reading uh, some of the reviews on the game, uh, in talking briefly about the plot, which I'm sure you guys will go into spoilerific detail, um, they, uh, it, it talks, uh, it got my attention, and here here's why. Um, um, I'll just read a couple lines here from uh, from our good friends at Wikipedia, which is the absolute most accurate source of information on the internet. Find out more at wikipedia.org. So, so, so um, uh, the. Um, 
let's see here. So there's an opening scene with Nier fending off a bunch of monsters, protecting a sick girl, blah, blah, blah. Um, after defeating the monsters, he checks in on this character named Yona. You guys can tell who Yona is because I have no idea. Who begins to cough badly? The game then cuts 1,300 or so odd years in the future when the player sees what appears to be the same two characters now living in a village built on top of the ruins of an old town. A low-technology village is one of several and is surrounded by more modern ruins such as the remnants of a train rack chain track and industrial machinery the areas between towns are filled with monsters known as shades that attack travelers as his daughter as his daughter's illness the black scrawl is terminal Nier sets out for a cure, uh, and he takes a book, a talking grimoire, and finds, uh, gets a foul mouth. Other people, you can talk about the other characters. My whole point is, I'm going to stop right there, is because, out of, out of, because I'm giving you my perspective, young man, this is what happens when you text message me while I'm, I'm giving you my perspective, okay? Hold on for a second, you can have 90 seconds, I'll give you guys 90 minutes. So... What's really cool about this opening line here is that is that so this this main character, from what I understand, goes out and and is doing all about what he's about to do, partake about this huge adventure that you guys are going into detail about to basically save his daughter. I, 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 how many RPGs have I played where I'm some spiky-haired protagonist with angst that may be doing this because of a girlfriend or because I got a hair up my ass, revenge, whatever, the same cliche BS. But here, I'm actually playing somebody who, I don't know if they were mentioning his age or not, but I'm assuming he's got a daughter. He's got to be my age, you know. Uh, the, only the game I describes him as being in his 40s. Yeah, there you go. Some for it's always mind blowing. It's like oh my god, somewhere along the way. I, I know, I, I, and I'm right there. I'm right there with you, Phil. Yeah. I, I remember thinking the same thing when I played the first Silent Hill for the first time, and I thought to myself, how many how many opportunities in any sort of media do we get to see a father who cares so much about his child that he's willing to like forego everything in his life just to save them? Thank I think you. Really cool. Isn't yeah. isn't part of a role playing game experience a story with characters that hopefully in some way, shape, or form you can relate to well i stopped relating to teenagers about two decades ago so <laughs> I, I i they drive me crazy these days i got nephews and nieces i don't have any sons or daughters of my own uh i can imagine but uh, i can't relate to them one one bit but here's a game where i can relate to this guy i know what it's like to care for other people with a fatherly type love even if i don't have my own children i, I can understand that and so it'd be so much cooler i praise them just for just for being willing to take this step in the plot so I went out and I bought the game just to support them on that little premise alone. So I uh, just Phil. Hmm? Phil, yeah. I hate to burst your bubble, but um, there was an alternate version of this game released. Yeah, Japan. I heard about that. Yeah, but but I, did, I heard spiky hair. I heard, but but this is not the Japanese. Teenager. This is not the Japanese wow. version. In bringing this over to America, they made this change. And, and that's no. This, both versions are available in Japan. Okay, whatever. I got this version. Whatever the deal is, the whole point is this is what was sold. This is what I bought, you know, and this is what I'm supporting. Because when you buy stuff, boys and girls, with your dollar, you're supporting, you know, the, you know those ideals that are being, you know, portrayed there to an extent. When you encourage, because you, you encourage publishers and developers and all this other stuff to take these types of of different and bold steps to break out of the mold, to break out of the cliche when you do this kind of stuff. So on top of the fact that the gameplay elements, from what I understand, there's some very original and different and wacky ideas there uh and that's cool i love originality you guys know that i'll buy a game just if the gameplay is original enough uh and, and it's done halfway decently i'll go ahead and buy it because i i like you know being outside the box but the, the fact that it's 
yeah, God, that plot with a with a father who's out to save his daughter. That's just awesome, right there. That you got me sold. You didn't have to go further than that. I, I went out and bought one just to support that idea. That's awesome. Stupid spiky protecting the teeny. All right, you guys take it away. It's time to talk about the game now. Oh, you did not. I am still putting you on mute. See, you can talk all you want for the rest of the night. Ain't gonna record a single word. Backstabber. <laughs> So sorry, I just want to talk about the game. You got, you got all. You've had ninety minutes. You can give me a few minutes. Oh my gosh, jeez, I've waited all night to talk about this. I want to talk about the game too. I've done talked about. It. Go, go ahead. Okay, guess myself sum up with the difference between the two versions we mentioned briefly. It's in the Japan. Nier wasn't just one game called Nier. In fact, it's two different games: Nier Replicant and Nier Gestalt. Um, Which one did we get? The one we got in the U.S. is the Nier Gestalt. Yeah. Else, which is the featuring the more middle-aged hero who's trying to save his daughter Yona. Uh, meanwhile, the other version, near replicant, focused more on a teenage hero who's trying to save his younger sister Yona. They're, I think, overall very similar as a whole. And as a whole, I think replicant was more of the primary game. Gestalt's just kind of tweaked off of replicant. It doesn't really do a lot with the whole older hero thing. A lot of the dialogue and a lot of the plot, and essentially especially a very major plot point in the middle of the game, it makes a lot more sense for the younger hero. So, yeah, this is kind of like the hacked-in older hero onto a game built around having a younger hero, but... That's about it. It's on the like it's on the differences. I guess. Well, I think in Japan, the in Japan, Replicant was a PS3 exclusive, and Gestalt was basically sent to die on the Xbox 360. Correct? Someone correct me if I'm wrong. But in the I US, we, that, oh, I do think that's how it went, which makes it kind of interesting that that's the version we got over here. Yeah, on both PS3 and Xbox 360, we get Gestalt version. Yeah. So, do do you have you seen any trailers of the PS3 uh, replicant? Like, did, I, I I have no reference point to what the gameplay is like in that. Is it similar? I think gameplay wise, and in, in terms of even plot scene direction, they're identical. They just changed out the character models and a couple lines of dialogue <laughs> overall. Okay. I mean, you can see the like you see like in a scene where in our version of Nier, you see the older hero kind of holding Kaine as she's suffering from something. In the other version, you get a much younger teenage hero holding Kaine in the middle of some scene. So. That's there's not much of a huge difference, I don't think. Okay, well, but again, I have never played the PS, the old replicant version, so I don't know. <laughs> um, let's see here. Uh, someone help me out here. How do I start talking about this? Why don't we talk about the opening scene and kind of go from there, and how we? Yeah, uh, it kind of creates a sense of mystery from the beginning as to what in the bloody hell is going on with, in this damn game. Yeah, basically, at the very beginning, you see the main hero who I well, Phil is referring to him as Near, but he's never named in game. You get a name in the beginning, they just stick with the name you name him the entire way through. They never mention his voice in cutscenes or anything. Um, uh, basically, he is in the Basically, it looks like a guy in a modern city, which is kind of slowly being covered by snow or something. Ing, who, you know, his daughter is sick, but ick, but these weird monsters are showing up. So he just grabs a pipe and a weird floating book that kind of comes along with him. And he just starts beating the tar out of them. Or rather, the buckets and buckets and buckets of blood out of them. Since these things literally explode into blood every time you hit them. <laughs> yes, Incredibly oh, gratuitous there, matter. Th- yeah. There's our link to Dragon Guard. Because everything in there bled when it died. 
Yeah, the original Dragon Guard is actually surprisingly not very bloody. Near is just there's gallons of it everywhere. I mean, every time the hero is hit, he hits the ground, and there's like three gallons of blood splattered down where he was, and he just hops back up like he's fine. So like, are we how talking, much blood is in these people? Are we talking <laughs> Mortal Kombat levels, or even more than that? Like at least that, maybe. Okay. It's pretty gratuitous. It's pretty extreme. Especially yeah. since every time blood gets spot around, all of the blood that's sent into the air since swirls around and enters into the book that accompanies the hero. Because it literally drinks this blood and uses it to convert it into your magic points used to cast spells. That's the central game mechanic behind your magic, is you eat the blood of your opponents to fuel your spells. In fact, what you use, if you use your magic to destroy enemies that are... If you destroy mechanical enemies that don't have blood, you don't get that effect. You don't regain MP. But if you kill an enemy that bleeds, you get the MP. Uh, so yeah, there's tons and tons and tons of blood. And also lots of spells. You get like eight to ten different spells? I can't remember exactly. Something like that, yeah. Although you can only have two equipped at a time, I think. Well, you can have up to four equipped if you de-equip your guard and evade. But... Oh, that's right. And so they're all signed to the shoulder button. So you can throw dark lances to impale enemies or blasts to hit them with barrage of shots or the dark hands just create a giant fist and punch them. It's actually all kind of fun. You don't have a huge variety of options, but you've got enough. It's enough to uh, complement the, the basic melee uh, aspects mm-hmm. of the combat. So yeah, you know, slash, keep, slash. keeps things, keeps things fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not you, that there aren't other things that also keep uh, the game fresh because there's a lot of uh, strange things about this game. A lot of really strange things about this game. This game is experimental, I guess. Uh, I guess we'll get mildly. to that. Little... Yeah. Well, anyways, thirteen. This the hero in some ruined city fights off a bunch of these monsters with the help of a mysterious white book. But then he goes back to his daughter to realize that you know she's apparently done something with a black book that, in exchange for getting a jar in a container of cookies to give her father because she's worried about him, she suddenly starts collapsing to some sort of weird illness which causes black lines to appear on her body. And that's how it ends. Then it says, 13,000 years later, <laughs> you get the same character and the same daughter in a totally different setting, which, as Phil described, kind of built on the ruins of our old civilization, 13,000 years in the future, kind of a medieval society, with these monsters called shades running around outside, which... They actually look a lot like the weird pod things from Drakengard 2, which is kind of appropriate if you think about it a bit, but this weird kind of glowing things, masses of lines that are fluctuating around each other that, you know, they don't even look like they can bleed when you you cut them, they just bleed like you wouldn't believe. And those things in themselves reminded me of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is not what I'm sure the developers wanted, but whatever. Uh, uh, You know what, I'm not going to say any more on that, but that it wouldn't be completely off base. Yeah, there's some amount of body snatching in this game. Yeah, uh, I don't know how far into spoilers we're gonna get. Oh, this you is... know where we are. That's true. We spoil everything. Um, yeah. So you are the hero. You're trying to save your daughter Yona. Well, in the beginning, you're just trying to trying to provide a living for her. So you're doing basically the hero is the tough guy who does odd jobs around town or get money to buy bread for his daughter. And so you fight monsters and you kill sheep and take their mutton and that kind of stuff. 
However, one day his daughter goes missing. She heard st- he told her the story about these t- these flowers that make people better because she's actually suffering from an illness. And so she disappears off into an ancient ruin, and he has to chase after her. And there he encounters something rather strange: a talking book, something called Grimoire, Grimoire Vice. Uh, okay, the book has amnesia. Everything has to have amnesia at some point, I guess. <laughs> this time it's the book, but still, it's this kind of holier-than-thou kind of book that demands respect but has no amnesia. It's kind of iffy on how useful it can be in terms of things, but it casts spells for you and it's just generally a constant companion throughout the game. And generally, Vice is a talking book. It's a well-written character. It's just kind of fun. He's uh, he's completely entertaining. Yep, very much so. Yes. The dialogue he has between the exchanges of the hero are really funny at times, especially... Well, throughout a lot of the game's different side quests, there's a lot of side quests. Yes, there are. A lot of, all of them have some amount of commentary between the it's two banter about various things. And it's pretty lively. In the same way that all the dragon talk from the previous Dragon Guard 1 and 2 are good, Vice is good in this game. Yeah, and in general, the dialogue in this game is superbly written and localized. Yep. Uh, I don't know. Properly localized dialogue. <laughs> I don't. I don't know how the Drakengard games are, but that's uh, not a worry in this game. Yeah, the, the color. The characters are colorful, including some very colorful language. The game even opens up with. But uh, yeah, I see. Anyways, going back to the story, at some point. Oh yeah, you've gained the Grimoire Vice, and thus Grimoire Vice tells you that if you acquire these things called the Sealed Verses, which you get by beating up bosses or exploring ruins, you, he'll be able to cure the illness that's afflicting the hero's daughter. And so the hero, desperate to save his daughter from this terminal illness, goes out to find the Sealed Verses, and this is the rest of the first half of the game. There's not much of an overarching story here, a lot of more episodic stuff, uh, just exploring the world and meeting different people. I mean, the people in the area are jerks, the seafront's kind of boring. The f- people on the facade are weird but cool. And the forest of myth is the game suddenly pulls you into a text adventure. <laughs> yes. Like, out of nowhere, suddenly you're in a text adventure. Yes, and, and that's really like not exaggerating at all. It, it, nope. yeah, that's pretty much exactly what happens. And, you know, it actually doesn't seem all that out of place in this game, considering oh, all the oh, other that's... weird stuff in it. <laughs> And the, the text adventure part is actually kind of cool, since it gives a nice bit. Of, it's actually part of the, the one part of this early part of the game which actually gives you backstory. It actually hints more at some of the real truths of the game, and even throws a random reference to Dragon Guard One, <laughs> because this game, from what I gather, or at least I've heard, and I can kind of understand from playing through it once myself, is supposedly a sequel that falls after the ending five from the original Dragon Guard. How inane is that? A sequel to the fifth ending of a game. <laughs> No. Dragon Guard 2 is a sequel to the first ending of Dragon Guard 5. Oh, no way. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense from the other endings. So, at all. so, so how does Nier incorporate a dragon and its rider being shot down by Japan's self-defense forces? Well, basically it seems that, dra- shoot, that shooting down the dragon and more importantly the go- the queen of the evil gods from that world kind of crashing down her corpse cla- landing in Tokyo may have triggered some horrible epidemic which wiped out all of mankind, or nearly wiped out all of mankind. It's a little vague and complex and weird. Ah, that, well, yes. that, that, that solves everything. <laughs> I'm, I'm not quite sure why it was necessary to directly link it to Drakengard instead of maybe take that idea and make it its own thing, but 
Yeah, it's really uh, more yeah. something. It's this kind of. I think they're just throwing it in there for the fun of it. But I don't Probably. know. And also, because it gives them a good excuse to bring back a lot of the weapons from Dragon Guard in this game, because a lot of the weapons in this game are from Dragon Guard. Including <laughs> some of my favorites. Go figure. Like the old Moonfire, which is my favorite weapon from Dragon Guard 1 and 2. Well, okay, in 2 it sucks because it's the hardest game weapon to get in the game. It's, here's Moonrise, a very early sword. And Heimer's Finger, the giant oversized sword from Dragon Guard 1, is in, <laughs> and it's broken 2, is back in its broken form, and then you repair it to its giant form. Though it's kind of weird, all the weapons from Dragon Guard 1 and 2 are much smaller in year than they were in the originally. I don't know why, but they are. Yeah, and that was a tangent. Oh, <laughs> well, that's alright. And there, there's... You know, the weapon variety is pretty good, although I think I found myself sticking to one or two weapons for most of the game. But yeah, there's, uh, there's a, a lot of different... Weapon, there's a variety of weapons. They're not differentiated very well like the weapons were in Dragon Guard 1 or 2. They're just, you know, they're just swinging them all and they all have the same effects. And occasionally you get a different glowy effect and you charge the weapon for a charge attack. That's about it. Yeah, but at least you've got uh, all the different spells to keep things fresh, it's and you're going to need to use those a lot. Yeah, since the game's all about the spells. And, well, punching things and slashing them. <laughs> but yeah, so anyways, you gather up the sealed verses after doing all this episodic stuff, and then suddenly a giant shade attacks your hometown. Just kind of out of nowhere. Pretty much. And this shade then goes on a giant rampage... And you kind of defeat it at great cost, but just as you're about to, just like just as you've dismembered and its disembodied head is going around trying to attack you, suddenly this you realize this thing can't be killed. So you get this plant trapped in the basement, but instead the Shadow Lord appears, and he just pops out with the, the black book Grimoire Noir, and it really comes just out of nowhere. He literally just pops out of a pool of blood that got dropped and splashed on the battlefield and kidnaps Fiona and then this whole thing of... Hold on one second, Nathan. we got some breakup here. I'm going to bring you back. As soon as I can find the button. There's a button here. There's the button. Yeah, there's the button. Okay. going to cast another spell and bring Nathan back. So yeah, Shadow Lord shows up out of nowhere. He kidnaps Yona. You try to fight him. He tr- steals all the sealed verses, but you steal them back immediately. Apparently, Grimoire Vice was supposed to help the Shadow Lord, but doesn't. And by the way, the Shadow Lord doesn't talk. No, he doesn't. Instead, Grimoire Noir talks for him. And yeah, you fight them. Yona is kidnapped, and then spontaneously, five years pass. Well, okay, after your allies, one of your allies turns another into stone and all that, but that's kind of a minor subplot because that gets resolved as soon as the time jump is over. But yeah, five years pass, and suddenly you get the ability to use spears and great swords, which I imagine makes more sense for the younger hero than a four-year-old guy who's presumably been training <laughs> soul time. And yeah, you go on another hunt, this time just around for clues on how to get to the Shadow Lord. You revisit yeah. all the areas. Revisit all the areas, but, you know, not necessarily necessarily doing all the same things. And, you know, some of the minor characters, um, you get to see more of more of their stories, so, uh, including some pretty heartbreaking bits. But... Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a lot depressing about the story in this game, but... Yeah, this game is very depressing. Yes. Very, very depressing. Yeah, you're not really completely retreading the same areas. There's some new stuff. Um, it's more really then... sad rather than kind of horrific that Drakengard 1 was, but... <laughs> uh, from what I've read of Drakengard 1, yes, uh, that sounds much more horrific. And... Yeah, I, mean, I know this description doesn't make it sound the most interesting things, but in practice, it's actually quite a good game. I mean, a touch repetitive in the second half, but the storytelling is quite good in this game. You go to like the characters a lot. and like You've got foul-mouthed Kaine, the woman who 
like wears next to nothing and helps you out in battles. It was, she just hates everything and swears all the time, but she's kind of a <laughs> likable person regardless. And then there's Emil, the young boy who can turn things to the stone with his eyes, who is just so incredibly optimistic and cheerful. Well, it's a kind of weird counterpoint to Kaine. Mayor is a pompous vice. So there's this dead, serious, murderous main hero. Because the main hero is kind of murderous. Like he doesn't hurt people. He likes people, but you know, they'll like the mo- if it's a shade, he'll kill it. That's yeah. This is very much. It's almost half his characterization right there. He's gonna kill every shade he meets. No questions. No hesitation. Even if it's kind of a morally complex thing to do, he doesn't care. Black and white kind of guy. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's, they have their stories, it's interesting, and then at the very end, you find the way past the Shadow Lord, and suddenly the plot gets weird, because suddenly they have to start explaining everything. And Yeah, weird and, and very um, effed up. Kind of. This isn't keeping with Kavya. Uh, yeah. Well, it, no. essentially, essentially, you find out that all the monsters you've been killing for the whole game are actually humans. Basically, in order to avoid the plague that started 13,000 years ago, everyone kind of separated their souls from their bodies. So their bodies rotted away, their souls were transplanted into these vessels, which became to know, which they called gestalts, but everyone in the modern world calls shades. So every shade you fight is basically a deranged human who's been living around for 13,000 years and has gone crazy. Yep. <laughs> Meanwhile, all the people of you, everyone you've met in the game so far is something called a replicant, which is basically a. A shell created to help preserve the genetic makeup of these people from 13,000 years ago that weren't supposed to be sentient but ended up being sentient anyways. And so you're you're literally just Blade Runner. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, so really, the main hero is basically a. He's supposed to be the mindless meat, bo- meat puppet clone that the Shadow Lord is supposed to inhabit. Because guess what? The Shadow Lord is, in fact, the original person the heroes copied from, the person you played in the very beginning of the game. Yep. <laughs> who, this entire time, is spending 13,000 years in trying to save his daughter, just like the hero who you've been controlling the whole time has been trying to save his daughter. Or just trying to find the body for her, which happened to be the hero's daughter. <laughs> I explained this that sounding really confusing, but it kind of was at the time anyway. Yes, and if that weren't effed up at all, apparently uh, you can replay the game and actually hear the th- hear the thoughts of all the monsters you're murdering. Oh God, yes, <laughs> I didn't get to that point yet. So thanks for the spoiler, but that's okay. Sorry. No, that's okay. We exist to spoil, so might as well true. Eat some of our own medicine there. <laughs> yeah, and of course. As I said, the hero, if it's a shade, he'll kill it. So that even counts, you know, his alter ego. It's like, he just says, oh, it's your shade, I'll kill you, basically. And anyways, there's also the fact that there's other characters, kind of some other plot twists. But yeah, basically, the entire game is trying to save your daughter, and at the very end, things get weird. That's near. But yes. you enjoy it the whole way, so who cares? Well, I, I'd say it's better for being weird. Yeah, definitely. It's, I like unique things. This game is unique, very much so. Yeah. Very much. And uh, it's got a lot of great music in it, which we didn't really talk music about. It's gorgeous in this game. Yes. And the the, the DLC, I guess. Uh, I've only downloaded the, the uh, soundtrack available on iTunes for this, but apparently uh, the songs appear in the DLC. But it's got a lot of like remixes of songs from the game, like an 8-bit remix huh. and some other, like an acapella one that just, you know... Oh, just some of the music in this game is so good. Yes, and, it is. It's like, I mean, just walking out a field is just amazing because the music is spectacular. It's the kind of game where normally you can say, okay, a game is good because uh, a game has good music. We can move on from it. This is the kind of game which is actively made better by its music. 
Yeah. It's just much ama- better. Just amazing. Uh, graphically, it's okay, I guess. No complaints. Yeah, it it works, I guess. It's not the biggest game ever, but I, I mean, it it looks fine. So, gets the job done. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously, from just looking at um, Kavia's previous work, they aren't exactly masters of the uh, graphical arts. But uh, this game, this game, uh, it's not going to hurt your eyes or anything to look at. Yeah, the character designs could be better. I mean, I mean, people have made complaints about the main hero's design because you know he's, well, okay, he's pretty damn ugly, and he's just kind of <laughs> over, like he's really hit the steroids a little too much. He's this giant hulking man who just looks terrible and angry all the time, and he gets this <laughs> weird face mask and. He doesn't wear a shirt, and I don't know. It just doesn't work. <laughs> you like the guy, but at the same time, he just does. His appearance is terrible. Yeah. Kaine, who her outfit is does uh, does not leave much to the imagination. Well, okay. Obviously, Grimoire Vice spends the entire game calling her hussy, and you can't blame him because of her outfit. <laughs> and then there's Emil, who is okay when he's this normal kid, but then he turns to this weird, creepy skeleton thing that looks like it belongs in a Nightmare Before Christmas rather than the rest of the setting. Yeah, he's probably the worst-looking character of the bunch, but yeah, it works out. Yeah, I just again, other than the main design of the three main characters, the game is notably better. Absolutely. Uh. <sighs> and yeah, I'm running out of stuff to say about the game. It's fun. Yeah, it's fun. There's a, it throws a lot of different twists at you. Yeah. I'm trying to to remember some of the different gameplay oddities it throws at you. Uh, there's some interesting puzzles, uh, some bits where it's almost uh, like different type of arcade games at times. Yeah, it's got block puzzles. I mean, yeah, like the bullets are kind of like a you know a classic bullet hell shooter. Just these the enemies will shoot these giant barrages of, of waves of bullets, the kind of fancy patterns that are you know if you actually had to dodge these, it'd be insane, probably yeah. impossible. Instead, you just kind of cut right through them, so it's just they're entirely for looks, but. It's really, you know, anyone's seen a Toho shooter can have some idea what some of the bullet patterns in this game look like. Yeah, and um, it's not an absurd, it doesn't, it's not an absurdly long game, uh, so it doesn't overstay its welcome, although it does uh, allow multiple playthroughs with some various twists, I guess. And, yeah, uh, alternates and stuff. And apparently the final twist is it deletes your save after you get the final ending. Really? <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know how many playthroughs that takes, but eventually, after the final one, it deletes your save. That's something. So, so yeah, be careful with that. <laughs> also, the game has a lot of side quests. Some of them are interesting, some of them are just really kind of dull and grindy. Don't don't go fishing. Oh, no, the fishing is fine. The fishing game is fine, really. Uh, I, I, mean, I, I think it's actually kind of... Fishing. What? I couldn't <laughs> stand the fishing. <laughs> well, I mean, it's there if you want to. You, don't, you're not, you only have to fish once in the plot, and otherwise you don't have to at all. It's just there if you enjoy it, and it, it can be enjoyed. It's a nice, relaxing fishing game. Not being too fancy, but it's certainly an interesting diversion. Yeah. I mean, I can't blame them for actually creating something. You don't really have to get engaged to it. It can be fun if you want. Yeah, like it. I, I mean, for, really, for the most part, uh, you don't have to do any of the side quests. So, you know, it's nice to have some side objectives there. Uh, you can do some grinding if you, I guess, if you're having trouble progressing in the game. So, you know, it's it a nice really option to have. It's a pretty easy game overall. I can't really say it's very hard at any point at all. Yeah, definitely not. Hmm, any other thoughts? 
Uh, give it a chance. It's, I think it's still pretty cheap. Is it still yeah. is it still near to your heart? <laughs> I think I think near has oh. a great reputation, especially among uh, RPG fans. But I don't know. Like I, I still I, I I think a lot of people are willing to be like, Cavia is this amazing studio. It's so sad that they're part of Feel Plus now for the most part. But really, I don't. Of the three games they the of the three major titles they ship, two of them are kind of. Kind of bad. Like people like to justify and kind of romanticize Cavia as this amazing developer now that they're gone because they love Nier. And it's awesome that they love Nier. But well, it's it's one game, you yeah. know? <laughs> now still so it's like, you know, you can't hate the games which are ambitious and had tried to think doing something yes, you different. Can. You can hate games <laughs> that are ambitious, especially if they're not good. <laughs> I'm not who suffered to Dragon Guard 2 here. All three playthroughs. God. Um, well, and I mean, and I mean, there's pretty good. I mean, from what I've read, and you guys talked a lot, and I kind of put the headphones away because I didn't want to hear too many spoilers on my own spoilerific oh, podcast. But we we spoiled all the big. I'm points, sure you so. did. That's why okay. I put the headphones down. I would have done the same thing. Um, but uh, but the reviews were pretty good. But they weren't like this. wasn't like you know game of the year or anything like that either. So it wasn't. Yeah, it's not. Most of the you ever play. It's just unique and interesting. Right. And, fun and right. Good solid game. Solid game, absolutely, and definitely one we you know I went out. I already said why I bought it, but I mean yeah, the, the gameplay is is pretty good. It's just yeah, you're not gonna be you know. Yeah, I mean you really have to forgive some of its faults um, if you re- re- really want to dig into it. Um, but it's worth it, you know, and uh, it's really gained quite the cult following. Mm-hmm. Uh, enough that uh, I've seen a lot of people excited for Dragon Guard 3 because of it, which well, I don't really understand. <laughs> I, I'm actually looking forward to Dragon Guard 3 myself, just because, you know, I'm looking forward to. I'm, I'm just hope. I don't know, maybe it's a little preliminary, maybe it's just a false hope, but I always like looking forward to things rather than dreading them. And Dragon Guard 3 is thing like, I want a game to actually fully realize the ambition of Dragon Guard, which is something they. They tried to aim for Dragon Guard 2, but never didn't quite hit of this idea where it's <laughs> huge epic battles, thousands of enemies where you can see them off into the distance, and you can seamlessly transition between big aerial dogfights and ground bombardments for fighting on foot. And well, they I hope they to do that, but couldn't on the PS2. And I hope they I succeed. Know. And by the way, this game kind of looks like a PS2 game. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you're not gonna get. Okay, that's the thing. Dragon Guard was. A lot of its faults are kind of because the PS2 isn't very good at handling what it's trying to do, because it's trying to do something very ambitious, and the PS2 kind of choked under it. And, you know, you can't get the graphics of, you know, the most spectacular-looking modern game and still try to try accomplish something that ambitious. You, you can't get a great-looking character and then make 10,000 of them and expect the game to actually run on a PS3. So, it's mm-hmm. only to forgive it if it actually, you know, lives up to some of that ambition and hope. It might not, at which point it's going to suck, but it might, so I'm going to look forward to that. I hope it does. You know, I, I I don't have any reason why I'd want them to fail. You know, I, I hope it. I hope it does. I always hope games turn out well, and you know, I think it's kind of impressive that they actually gave kind of this original team the chance to do that, despite you know, obviously, things not turning out so well with their previous games. Yeah. So I you know, hope it's the sign that Square wants to create a few more mid-budget games. The to- like Nier and Dragon Guard, that you know, that's one of the good games of the past were. So, 
Yeah, you know, it, sometimes you just have to give these crazy ideas a shot, you know? Mm-hmm. And I like to see when companies do that. So hopefully yep. it turns out well. Uh, hopefully it's another, at least another sleeper hit like Nier. Yeah. Because uh, I could certainly use some more games like that. Yeah, I mean, these are these are the type of things I think, sometimes I think we have to kind of cherish because it's getting harder and harder for you know, some of these publishers to take these kind of chances. I mean, you see the articles, you know, coming up quite often on the, the big gaming websites about um, how it seems like the B, the B, uh, the B rated game developer publishers are kind of going the way of the dinosaur. You know, you have your, you have your AAA titles and then, you know, you have a lot of the indie stuff and on the, uh, you know, on the uh, iOS systems and steam, you know, green light projects and whatever have you. But those, those middle guys who would create, you know, some of these B rated games that we, know and love the quirky things that are outside the box it's getting a little bit harder especially on the main consoles on on the handhelds it's it's a little bit easier to go ahead and take those risks but, but phil we've always we've always got thq <laughs> oh yeah oh, oh. oh. timber <laughs> yeah that's it's so it's it, yeah and and there are you know there's some pretty cool things that we've talked about this before but there's some pretty cool things you know coming out of the the kickstart program we are seeing some uh some different things being tried there but uh, I am, a, you know, I'm a little concerned that after, you know, the PlayStation 3 is coming in a life cycle, we're going to get a, a good boost like we normally do at the end of every, you know, life cycle. We get some we get some pretty good uh, outside-the-box RPGs and the such. We saw it with the Wii. We're seeing it with the PlayStation 3. we got a couple of cool things coming up on the calendar, it looks like. Uh, but as we go into the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox 720 or whatever they're going to announce it as, uh, I, you know, I get a feeling that, you know, just like at the beginning of PlayStation 3, we kind of had a drought. I think this drought might be, even be a little bit bigger because there is more of that harder to take those risks with those B-rated titles nowadays on the on the major platforms. So, we'll see. We'll, well see. We'll always have near. We'll always have near. Yeah, <laughs> especially, well, you know what? We were talking about the price. You wanted, wanted me to look up the price, whatever have you. And um, there's a lot of auctions on eBay which, which are under $10, though uh, quite a discrepancy between that and Half.com, which I normally don't see. On Half.com, for some reason, there's only like three copies on sale for like 30 bucks a pop. And that's that's quite unusual. Usually the, the two hmm. sites are pretty close. So I don't know if there's a reason for that discrepancy. Uh, but you should be able to get it, you know, and find it, you know, pretty cheap somewhere. I mean, heck, I, I saw it in, in fact, you know, it was really kind of ironic was, um, geez, in Sears, which I never shop in Sears, but I distinctly remember it was only like a month after Nier came out and, uh, that Sears had a sale for 20 bucks, you know, on Nier. It was like, wow, that was fast. That went down even faster than Final Fantasy 13 too. So <laughs> I just, yeah, that was incredible. Wow. But, um, all right, cool. Well, thank you all so much. We're going to take a tiny break, and we'll be right back to wrap this up with the final lap.
return. This is the final lap where we kind of do all of our kitchen sink stuff, talk about what we're working on, and any retro news I might be able to dig up. So, uh, not any comments about our last show, Mike. I just posted one on there just so your post wouldn't be all lonely by itself, where you talked about uh, Jade Empire. So people need to go back and listen to the Jade Empire podcast and leave lots of comments. Do it was, uh, now. Was Scott, was Scott on that podcast? He was. I think he was, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, wasn't he? Yeah. He's yeah. A big, he's a big Jade Empire. Yeah, player. yeah, he was on there. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was. I, I got a short-term memory, but yeah, yeah, I'm 99% sure he was. So uh, next show, uh, we will be talking about some Zelda games. Specifically, it looks like the Minish <clears throat> Cap, Wind Walker, and Four Swords, and Twilight Princess. What? Yep, taking it through the GameCube era. So, oh, uh, the GameCube era, I guess. That's kind of awesome. Yeah, yeah, that will be an all-nighter, sure. <laughs> um, yeah, awesome stuff. Um, not a, you know, the blast from the recent past uh, section, I didn't really make it a separate segment because there's not too, too much to talk about. But a couple years ago, around this time, uh, we had Dungeon Hunter Alliance. Did any of y'all play that one? No. No, can't say that one. Right. Yeah. Uh, Might Magic Clash of Heroes HD, one of the many iterations of Clash of Heroes that was released. And we have, uh, I have personally been spoken about it on this podcast at nauseum. Great game, no matter which one you get, though. If that's the uh, PlayStation 3 version, I probably, you know, would avoid that and grab the Steam version instead. It loads a lot faster. And then, um, or the iOS version might be good. And then uh, a Final Fantasy IV, the complete collection, which would be probably the PSP version a couple of years ago. I'm trying to remember exactly which version came out. But that might be um, that might be a, a good one to pick up. Uh, I've I've heard good things about the complete collection. Not mind blowingly great, but pretty good overall. Any y'all play the complete? Did y'all? And I played I played like one or two <clears throat> of the episodes. Uh, that was after the main storyline in the complete collection. I seem to remember Max Storm liking it, and that would be about the what eighth, ninth time he's played Final Fantasy Four. I know. And and yet I, I, I love it. I love it. I love the complete collection. And yet I can't get the Final Fantasy version is the definitive version. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you're going to get one, try to get the PSP. Yeah, absolutely. Because you can get it on the Wii with the way the download works and whatever. And I actually got that because somebody sent it to me as a gift or something along those lines. They sent me like the first episode, and that's where I played it. Uh, But then when the PSP version came out, I didn't bother buying all the separate DLCs or whatever they were because they released them as chapters. Uh, I just bought the complete edition on the PSP, and that's definitely, like you said, that's absolutely the way to go. Um, anywho, so that was kind of our quick blast in the recent past uh, there. Um, and I believe it's Mr. Yes, Mr. Trent is still here. Uh, this is... This is the part where we just kind of go around and see what everyone's doing and playing and thinking about and talking about. Um, and I see you've been working, helping to put together something on the site, right? And it's already up, so it's already done. A feature? Yeah. There's only one Trent Sealy. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, actually. Um, I mean, like, I, I'm just getting – I'm still kind of getting over uh, a Paxi's coverage hangover. We – <laughs> had too many interviews and too many hands-on and ran back and forth and we managed to crank out um 16 articles so i'm really happy about that um but then i had to get back on top of currents and uh there's a feature that we wanted to get up on the site that everyone had kind of everyone had already written their write-up and nathan actually wrote too and I had yet to do mine. <laughs> so as soon as everything was over with PAX, I had to jump on top of that. 
but it's it's a, a it's a underrated RPGs feature, and it, I know it would get a little bit sticky in terms of semantics because there's always going to be some people who argue not only um, you know underrated versus underplayed or underrated in RPG gamer circles as opposed to normal gamer circles or uh, what are underrated actually means. It's just a really subjective kind of term. So I tried to frame it in the article itself as just games that we like that we think you should play. And hopefully you can some can suggest some games that you like that we should play. So the very cool thing about that article is not only did we get a ton of awesome content from all the contributors on the site, but... Uh, a lot of the community has really spoken up, and and I've started playing some games that I hadn't hadn't really considered playing before. So it's really cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the list, and uh, there are 12 games uh, listed on there, and the ones that I see that pop out at me, uh, and we've even talked about uh, just about all of these on Backtrack at one point or another. Uh, but Breath of Fire, Dragon Quarter, very excellent suggestion. Arc Rise, Fantasia, absolutely, I've, I've sung that praises of that game many times. Uh, Valkyrie Chronicles 2 is a, is a very fun game. The Atelier series, very much underrated. Well, maybe underplayed more than underrated. I don't know. Um, I, 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 <laughs> well, I'll get to the argument argue, myself. I'll start arguing with myself. <laughs> I would argue that the main series is... Like, like, not like Iris. People, a lot of people are aware of the series because of Iris, right? Or Monokini, yeah. I guess. Or, or yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, like, there's certain there's certain elements of the series that I think are well known, but I think like the core of the series has never, even today, is still not really well known. So, but you need- I, I understand why he wanted to talk about it in in the article, and anyone who reads the article would get that. Yeah, but delete Steambot. I hate the pain in the butt game. Freaking control issues. Freaking robots. Bloodsuckers. All Nico. <laughs> it is very cute, though. I love this setting, and I, oh my gosh, I give my right arm to see that kind of steampunk, you know, robot type of thing uh, used a little more often. It's used in a couple of games, but that the, the art in that was done very, I liked it a lot. But yeah, a lot of great suggestions on there. So everyone should go and check it out. The site, it's all at rpgamer.com. Uh, right now, the uh, feature is at the very top of the page. Um, and yeah, I we talked about Magical Star Sign right about a year ago, actually. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll get it indexed on the little picture things on the right side of the page eventually. So in case it gets bumped down too quickly. But yeah, check it out. Anything cool. else you are working on or anything you just want to chit-chat about? Anything you're playing fun and exciting? Um, I'm at, like right now, like I've kind of limited my consumption of games because I just don't feel like I, I have that much time. I, I have a, I have a, a, a novel. It's the first book I've ever written and it's, it's done and it's in the final stages of just being published. Like it's been, it's been edited. It's been ripped apart. It's been put back together again. Um, I just need to get it out the door. So I'll be really happy when that's done so I can return to my normal schedule of gaming. Like do you have, today. do you have a well-known publisher or is this someone uh, whose name would not ma- ring a bell for anybody? <laughs> Probably not ring a bell. <laughs> okay, so, so you don't have a random house or <clears throat> that kind of deal. Out, not I. I wouldn't be pimping it out over the over the site in any in any article or anything along those lines. Okay. Anyone who follows me on Twitter can expect me to um, basically just pollute their feed. <laughs> Um, but the the few the few minutes I do have for video games at the moment are currently being spent on Pokemon White. Um, I haven't actually played a Pokemon game since, like, really dedicated myself to a Pokemon game since Pokemon Gold and Silver. Um, a, a part of that was just me kind of growing up, and uh, and another part of that was I I just got tired of learning about friggin' Pokemon names. Okay, okay. Gold and Silver, <laughs> th- those were on GBA. 
uh, uh, silver and golds. Those would have been yeah. on. Those would have been on Game Boy Color, actually. Okay. Well, See, I've never played a Pokemon. This is what I know about it. Yeah. <laughs> so when they came out, I mean, it was right. They were the 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 follow ups to the original Red and Blue, right? So they're okay. big games at the time and huge leaps. And the series hasn't seen that many huge leaps since. Um, and then I saw the trailer for X and Y. And I got all happy and excited and willing to play it. And then I thought to myself, well, gee, would I even be good at a Pokemon game? So I just picked up White and uh, so far I'm enjoying it. Um, uh, it's a, it's more plot heavy than I ever expected a, a Pokemon game to be, which I'm actually kind of OK with. Uh, there's a number of improvements that I'm not used to just because I haven't played the series in a while. Um, so that's cool. And uh, there's there's a group like I don't I'm still very much accustomed to Team Rocket, but there's a group in this game called Team Plasma, which I'm sure to a lot of people will seem like this badass kind of gritty cult like thing. But to me, it just seems like a really angry version of PETA. <laughs> because I'm still at that point in the game where they're talking about Pokemon liberation, you know? I don't know. That's just me. Anyway, uh, so that's what I'm playing. <laughs> that'll suck up your hours i understand life in a nutshell yeah <laughs> well um okay nathan what have you been up to lately um i don't know just for the side <laughs> stuff. you don't know how are we supposed to <laughs> i don't know what to talk about you know what i mean yeah um i just for me it's just for the site i've just been doing normal news stuff expecting some more interesting news the upcoming nintendo direct which will probably have already been announced by the time people hear this uh beyond that not much uh, in terms of what games I've been playing, I've been pretty neck deep in the Corral Answer series right now. I just talking about the underrated games feature earlier. I just kind of want to shut this out. It's like Corral Answer games. Like I would have written for. I don't know write up for the Corral Answer games if I had beaten Corral Answer three in time for getting that in. But I just beat it recently. It's a good game. Not perfect, but you know, I really like this series. It's got amazingly good battles and some likable characters and some interesting plot twists. The villains kind of suck, but that's okay. Kind of in the middle of Crowdster 4 right now, and it's actually quite a good game. I'm really glad it came over here. And that's what yeah, I like. So, someday I'll start the Crowdster games, and I will have to play one in six too. And I know <laughs> what that entails, and I'm prepared for it. I see. Well, you have my. That, I wish you. That's what there. I do, man. If I play a series, I've got to play the hell out of it. Yeah, I'm the same way. I mean, you know, you know how I played through all Fantasy Star one through four in one go, but have if I if I could play one, I put started with the one in Crowdster. I might need to find five after this, so I hear that's a bad idea, but... I I don't know. I hear mixed things. Nobody says it's, you need to play this, worthy, but exactly how mediocre or outright bad it is, I guess, depends upon who you talk to. Yeah, and hey, I'm the guy who sat through all three places of <laughs> Guard too, so I mean, I apparently have a high tolerance for pain, so... Yes, you do. I I wish you well with it. It will cause you to have many, many experiences. I I will not give them any adjective definition beyond that. <laughs> okay, and yeah, that's about all I can really talk about right now. Mm, mm. How about oh, you, yeah, Mister Mike? Hunter. Tons and tons of Monster Hunter. That game is too addicting. Yeah. Well, I was playing this this thing called Rhapsody on my DS, and I think I was more than halfway through it until Mac sent me this thing called Soul Hackers, which I've been playing since. Um, you will you will hear me spout off about Rhapsody some other time on this show uh long and the short of it is i'm not a fan i'm i'm really 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 bored with it but as for soul hackers it is not boring 
I just died for the fifth time because a stupid enemy hit my protagonist with something that apparently killed him in one hit. Even though I've got instant death protection on, I don't know what the hell happened, but it is not boring. Um, it's honestly giving me... Remember that period in the 90s when the net was supposed to be this physical thing that people just jumped on and surfed around in the internet, like Lawnmower Man or Johnny Mnemonic or that kind of silly thing where you visually run through the interwebs? It's giving me that kind of vibe. I love Johnny Mnemonic. <laughs> but yeah, what exactly is it about it, though, that's just... The whole setting and some of the visuals, which uh, just depict that that shaky cam almost from Evil Dead zooming through the circuit land. You, oh, you remember that view from the tacky. 90s. That's tacky. <laughs> you can do that in Microsoft, like Windows Movie Maker. You could probably do that effect. Follow yeah. the pipe. <laughs> you probably couldn't do it in 97, though. Probably not, no. <laughs> and let's see, for, an, for a game made in 97, it holds up pretty well. Just, it's got that Shin Megami Tensei difficulty curve, so, uh, yeah, be prepared, because if your protagonist dies, game over. No, you don't get to continue. You get to start back from the last save point. Um, I will have much more to say about that in the near future. I'm I'm not sure how close to finishing, but uh, at least three-fifths of the way done. And... I just want to give a big sh- shout-out to Sleuth. Anybody who is interested in a really good... Compelling, well-acted, well-scripted duologue of great Titanic actors. Go see Sleuth, the one with Laurence Olivier and Michael Caine. Just see it, watch it, be enthralled. It's really, really good. I've heard that from a couple people, actually. It's the last movie Joseph Mankiewicz directed, and have you seen anything else by him, Trent? No. I, I would highly maybe, recommend All About maybe. Eve sometime. What else has he directed? All About Eve, Suddenly Last Summer, um, A Letter to Three Wives, um... What else have I seen from him? Well, I guess he directed Cleopatra, but I won't hold that against him since I haven't seen it. It's four freaking hours. That's a big commitment. <laughs> but this is really good. It's two hours, 20 minutes, but the time just flies by because it's so well-written. Olivier and Michael Caine, they're excellent actors, and the twists just keep coming. Give it a shot. You will not regret it. Okay. It's in IMDb's top 250, which is hardly the source for good movies necessarily, but given its age and its relative unknown state, I mean, relatively, it's not like the Godfather or uh, Citizen Kane, something like that. Just check it out. I, I've taken to using fast forward for the silly little scenes that just advance the plot. And I know exactly what's going on. I didn't use fast forward at all with this movie. That's how good it is. And uh, I guess I'll mention the last dragon too, because it's kind of like, <laughs> Here, let's make a guy who worships Bruce Lee, and we're going to make it in the most 80s way we possibly can, so that it's half a musical featuring 80s tunes by Elda Barge. Awesome. <laughs> and, and it has William H. Macy in one scene wearing an incredibly loud jacket. And it has two leads who go by their first names, Tymac and Vanity. <laughs> And, oh my, it is so incredibly screaming 80s. What does the bad guy want to do? He wants to put his video on Vanity's TV show. That's his evil scheme. When she won't do it, he gets mad. Can you can you send me a link to that on my Twitter? <laughs> sure, I'll, I can do that. Yeah. And, and who's our other villain? He's the Shogun of Harlem, who has guys who run around chanting, Show enough! Show enough! 
and the climax involves his hands glowing for some reason. Sounds appropriate. <laughs> and of course, we have to have footage from Bruce Lee movies intermixed because that's the way you always get the audience interested by showing a possibly better movie that they could be watching. But this is not necessarily a bad movie. It's just really, really goofy. What does our hero's dad do? He owns a pizzeria and the bad guys trash it. No, they trashed the pizzeria. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It actually sounds kind of like like a draft plot to streets. To like um like a like uh God, it's it's so late. My brain's not working. <laughs> um, Double Dragon. It sounds like it could be a draft <laughs> plot to Double Dragon. It it honestly could. They our favorite restaurant. Let's go kick some ass. <laughs> oh, and Tymek is on a mission. Oh, and his character is named Leroy. He goes by Bruce Leroy. Do you get it? Oh, I feel um, like they're coming back. Do you feel like the EVs are coming back? I feel like they're starting to come back. Like it's I no feel like they've been back in in a way for a while. I'm worried about if the '90s come back in a real big way. I like, like the nineties. Personally, I like the nineties, but but I, I think for the longest time, the eighties has been a generation that people have only kind of, uh, on mass, people have mostly enjoyed in an ironic way, and I think people are actually starting to get their nostalgia goggles on for the eighties in a very sincere way now. So I think that's kind of cool. That, yeah. yeah, the nineties is getting the big ironic blitz right now, as it deserves when Pauly Shore became a star in the nineties. Social scientists in the future will wonder how that ever happened. The, well, yeah. They'll also wonder why the movie Biodome ever got made in the first place. <laughs> I was 14 when I saw that. I should have been the target audience for a stoner comedy pitched at adolescent males, and yet I did not laugh at all. Booty. <laughs> Even Kylie Minogue could not make anything of interest in that. And Kylie uh, Minogue is cute. She's pretty. She's talented, too. I like her stuff. I like her songs. Anyway, I, I should probably let you sleep soon, so that means it's Phil's turn. Ooh. Well, I found a little bit of retro news. Just a little bit. Not much. Except I don't remember where I stuck it at. Dang it, where'd I put my retro news? It was just here a second ago. Well, shucks. Oh, yeah, now I remember. Do I remember? It is late. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, yes. Overlord, with this expansion of Raisin Hell, the first one, uh, is on GOG for nine ninety nine. So if for some silly gosh darn reason you didn't play that on the consoles or get on a Steam sale because it's been on that, uh, you can grab that now on GOG and uh, and it'll be DRM free because every game on GOG is generally <laughs> yeah DRM free. So um, yeah, support support GOG. I love GOG, and it's technically something we cover, so that's why I talked about it. Um, yeah, yeah, but um, haven't had a unfortunately haven't had a whole lot of time to play video games the last couple of weeks. Been kind of busy with Pathfinder and working out and doing chores and stuff. So not a not a whole lot of gaming time unfortunately this week. Played something and all I just don't even remember. Oh yeah, played some Super Mario. There we go. That's real exciting. <laughs> when you said you played it in the mall for a minute, I thought you went to an arcade. <laughs> no, you you know usually um. Sometimes, uh, sometimes I'll take the uh, I'll take my wife out to the mall so she can shop, and I'll I'm like the forty year old guy falling behind her with the Game Boy in my hand. <laughs> so I'll usually play a DS so game. Cool. What's that? 
You're so cool. I know. I'm just racking up the nerd points left and right, you know. Oh god. I, 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 and I get it too. I was I was at a concert last night, a rock concert of all things, and it was awesome. But before then, I was literally waiting around playing my 3DS. <laughs> And I'm in a sea of people who look like they could easily hurt me. Like, I'm not, like, a big guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the – the, and I, I tell my wife, we're, we're just so uh, – as a culture, we're hypocritical in so many different ways and not even funny. It is perfectly socially acceptable uh, for me in that setting, whether it's in a restaurant or following my wife around, you know, in a store or whatever have you. It's perfectly acceptable for me to bust out the cell phone and, you know, whether I'm texting or playing a game on the cell phone people don't know and it's not really that important it's not frowned upon but the minute you break out something that looks like a ds well yeah yeah. you're that person with the ds now yeah (laughs) and you know and you see the kids walking i see kids walking around you'll see a five or a 10 or 15 year old maybe not 15 they're too but you'll see a five or a 10 year old walking around the ds uh so uh you'll see those all the time so if you're using a ds or a 3ds especially uh psp sort of by the virtue of the fact that my psp is red and it looks kind of like the same color as a ds um either one of those gizmos automatically makes you look totally immature even though you're playing a game that's way smarter than what that big guy over there is playing on his cell phone, you know, so he's playing some some Angry Birds or something, and you're playing, you know, a deep RPG, Final Fantasy Tactics stuff, yeah. So, yeah, you can never explain it. There's no way you can explain it to a non-nerd. It just doesn't work. You're speaking a foreign language, so. I know this. I've my relatives just accepted that I have this thing that I will play with, and. Yeah, that's usually when my aunt is busily emailing people with her phone, but nope, she will not play her games on her phone because that's obviously out of the line. Well, it's you know, it's it's totally an education process, absolutely. To get my to get all the relatives that I do spend some time with on board with this ideology, um, I, every once in a while we'll visit a far out relative, like one of those third third tier relatives that you only visit like once every ten years, and then rather than <laughs> trying to explain my habits to them. Them for that one point in time, I'll be a good boy and I'll I'll just break out the cell phone. Or sometimes you break out the nook. The nook you can explain to them. You know, the, it's a book. See, it's just a book. That's all it is. See, no games. It's all right. People do this. Um, th- that you can get away with. But yeah, that is that we're framing it like this. It's not it's not as if we live in a fascist society. But but that's just the. I mean, you know, I, I even you know, there's even some implications for this. What if you're in the mall and you're falling around and you have like a career that's uh, somewhat public or whatever, and your boss or your boss's boss runs into you in the mall and you're sitting there with a the Game Boy in your hand, and you know, it's just I, I don't even I don't want to pull out in the lunchroom because we're very we're you know we're we're Sheraton. We're a four star hotel, and I'm one of the you know executive managers. How silly is it for an executive manager to be sitting there playing a game during lunch? Doesn't really? look right on a Game Boy. Now, if I'm doing it on a cell phone, that's perfectly okay. See, see, that's the weirdest thing because like full time, I'm an HR guy. So, and I've worked in a lot of corporate environments. And anytime I'm hiring someone or terminating someone or disciplining someone, they're in my office, mm-hmm. and there are like. 14 little superhero bobbleheads on my desk 
there's usually a DS or some sort of video game console sitting somewhere on my desk. Like, I think I well, I if, you, I must not, if you if you must not care about professionalism, clearly. <laughs> well, and I mean, it, obviously, professionalism's in the eye of beholder, and it differs from company to company. And it's it's definitely set by the the top boss and the executive managers right underneath of him. In my company, you know, in my my point and where I'm at, uh, it, my boss is an older guy, and everything's by the book and and that's okay i mean for the most part as far as running a business goes but he's not gonna understand video video games what the hell he he'll talk sports with you no problem video games eh. and then all the other executive managers not single one of them plays a video game so you break anything more than a cell phone in the lunchroom and it's like what are you doing phil uh, I, I'm I'm playing a video game. What are you playing? Like you would know what I'm playing. You've never even you don't even know what a DS. You don't even know the difference. You don't even know this is a 3DS. You don't even know what a 3DS is. Go away. You know it's it's it ends up being one of those. Yeah, I mean, you don't say it like that, but really they have no idea. It's just yeah, it's it's like let's watch the guy in the fish tank. Beep beep beep. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, so when I go to lunch now, I just take my nook and I read a book. I'm a good boy. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah, really exciting. But yeah, I've worked in co- – I remember my, my, my first jobs. this is really hilarious, but back in 93, uh, I had the black and white Game Boy, and I bought – I should find a link. I, I know there's a link for it. But I had bought – I forget what it was called. It was, called, it was from Radio Shack, and it was this enclosure that you put your Game Boy into, okay? And it basically, it basically made your Game Boy four times larger – Though it was still technically a handheld device, but now you need it both hands. It's like going from a tiny McDonald's 99 cent hamburger to the double Whopper. Not the regular Whopper, the triple-decker Whopper. It, it makes your Game Boy that big. What it does, with what this enclosure does, you, you set it in there, you plug... You're saying the triple decker Whopper, like we have those here. Yeah, Canada, Canada doesn't operate that way. If something's uh, that unhealthy, we just don't let eat, people eat it. Well, and it was probably not healthy for for my social life to be carrying around a Game Boy this huge. When you put the Game Boy in the closure, you plug. They had a little headphone jack uh, plug that you plug into the headphone jack, and uh, and you set it in. You close the lid. So the front of it has a huge magnifying glass. So all, already your screen is twice as big as a normal Game Boy. The, the, the earphone plug you plug in was to the big, huge speakers on the side of this thing. So you got bigger and louder sound out of your Game Boy. And it was just huge. It had a huge oh, it put a, it had huge joystick and buttons that somehow connected underneath to the buttons on the Game Boy itself. So you got this bigger experience. So this, this really screamed nerd, especially in you know, 1993. This really screamed nerd. But I would take that to the lunchroom when I worked in a warehouse and with a bunch of big, huge, strong guys that were three times my size. And, and they, didn't, they didn't think anything of it, and it wasn't going to affect my career or anything else. It was just it's a warehouse job. Yeah, or when I worked at Disney, it was, yeah, you walk around with the Game Boy there, it's not such a big deal. But in a upper-tier you know, hotel where everyone's wearing three-piece suits and stuff, yeah. <laughs> where casual Friday, <laughs> casual Friday means your tie's just a little looser. Yeah, <laughs> good times. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Anywho, uh, and everyone that just still playing a, a bucket load of uh, pen and paper, having a lot of lot of fun with Jade Region and Skulls and Shackles. And those uh, those are going along. So I think that's about it. Join us, uh, join us in a couple of weeks, as I mentioned before, for one. Oh, oh, I almost forgot. I knew there was something. I was I was like dragging my feet. I'm like, oh wait a minute. I almost. I know I'm forgetting something. You know what I'm forgetting, Mike. It's time to start my top ten list. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I, I see how excited he is. He, well, I think we, 
Actually, I think just uh, Trent is rapidly approaching the level of sleep deprivation to make him an an inadequate guest. How can he go to sleep knowing that I'm about to talk about number 10 on my top 10 list? What kind of top 10 is this? Well, see, we're coming down to the 10th, well, the, the countdown to our 100th episode. So this is number 91, right? So uh, so I'm going to go over my personal top 10 list starting tonight with number 10. And when we get to number 100, I will say my top game. This is entirely subjective. RPGs, I should say. Entirely subjective. And it's just total fanboyism. That's all this is. Uh, and some of these will have – some of these games will absolutely be some of those uh, little-known or weird-out titles or stuff that was you know a little further back. I don't go too far back, though, because some of the games that I really like like the gold box series uh and i mentioned them as honorable mentions last week uh our last show are unfortunately haven't aged too well so um Baldur's Gate loved it to death. Hasn't aged great. Just try to get a new player into Baldur's Gate with those old-fashioned D and D rules and the uh, uh, 640 by 480 graphics. Even if you do the quote-unquote HD version, all it does is it just lets you see more of the screen once the things are still teeny tiny. So it's it's yeah yeah. <sighs> Anywho, um, what is number ten? Yes, number ten is dun dun dun. Uh, boy, it's not that one, that's for sure. It, it's not dun-dun-dun? No, it's not that one. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Um, for me, number 10, you know this is going to be a fun list, when number 10 is Zelda, so we're talking about Zelda next week, I should probably make it number 9, save for next week. You know, I'll switch it out. I'll make it number 9. Number 10. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh. Okay, number 10 for me is going to be, oh my god, they're all such great games, is going <laughs> I didn't actually – I just got an idea of what order they were in, but I should have probably written down exactly what – I do have the list of ten here though, uh, but they're all really, really so good. I'm going to have to say just based on a couple of facts – Wizardry 8. Wizardry 8 is is not Windows 95, I want to say. I don't think it's DOS. I want to say it's 95 or 9. I should Google it really fast. But Wizardry 8 was the last game in the long-running RPG series on the computer, of which I did not play any of the other ones. They were uh, very basic, hardcore dungeon crawlers like the Might and Magic series and the such. Uh, I steer clear of those for the most part because of their reputation for grueling difficulty. Well-earned. I might add the Wizardry series wasn't uh, wasn't much different and by the time I wanted to give it a shot with Wizardry 7 I couldn't get the thing to run on my blasted computer but Wizardry 8 came out it was made for uh, Windows uh, 95 98 which one of those um, oh here we go uh, let's see, title wizardry, wizardry eight. It must have been ninety eight, uh, but uh, but it actually worked on my computer. Came on three CD ROMs. Was developed and published by Surtech. Uh, designed by uh, Brenda Brathwaite, whoever that is. Anywho, must be a nice person. She made a good game. Uh, this is a it was a single player RPG experience coming to you on three uh, three CD ROMs. So when Wizardry eight came out, most of us knew that this was Surtech's last Wizardry game. Um, later on, in the series would be picked up by one of those Japanese companies, and now we have some wizardry games on the playstation 3 and on the psp and the such but this was the last of the uh, of the pc games uh that were kind of rooted in that universe and such and 
the uh, when, instead of just coming out with another wizardry game like six or seven, that was a basic dungeon grid based dungeon crawler that we're used to seeing from those games. They took a couple of extra steps with it, uh, and one of the things that they did was instead of having it be big, big grid based, it was kind of free roaming uh, using the primitive PlayStation One level graphics. Ugh. But <laughs> but normally in those games, when you would get into a fight, uh, you and you see this now even uh, in a lot of the dungeon crawlers that are on the PSP and the DSA, probably Soul Hackers, the same thing. With Soul Hackers, Mike, don't you probably, you probably just see some monsters in front of you, right? And you pick attack or cast or whatever. Yeah, and there's no real animation in fighting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no real. I, I, honestly, the still pictures I'm seeing in this game are the same ones that I was seeing in Devil Survivor 2. Atlas has not bothered to revisit its assets very much for Fair. the demon artwork. No <laughs> tactical positioning either, right? That's pretty typical of the third-person dungeon crawler. Uh, well, first-person dungeon crawler. You got rows. So, okay. Physical attacks can't hit the things in the back row. That's that's about it. Yeah, and that's usually yeah. You may have a front row, back row in these dungeon crawlers, uh, and that's about all the tactical positioning you get. What they did with Wizardry was the you would see the enemies, but instead of just being lined in rows in front of you with an enemy front row and a back row, and your character's having a front row and a back row, you you would your characters would be in a circle formation. You would have four quadrants: north, east, west, and south, plus the inside quadrant that was kind of your back row. Basically, they were protected. And the enemies would approach you from the first person's perspective from all angles. And if an enemy was in front of you when he attacked, he would hit those people in the north quadrant. If an enemy was relationally to your you know, right, he would hit your east quadrant. If you had nobody protecting your east quadrant when an enemy attacked from that quadrant, it would hit your guys in the middle. So that added a layer of tactical death that you don't normally see in first-person dungeon crawlers, uh, party-based dungeon crawlers. And that was really cool. And it actually made the whole 3D graphics normally, I, I, I despised the earlier generation of 3D graphics because they were just, number one, they were ugly as hell, and most of the time they were su- supliferous. They were just totally unnecessary. The 3D combat in, in Final Fantasy VII, for example, is a really great example. Um, but anywho, here it, it was kind of, you. it was good to be able to see the enemies coming from a distance and having that perspective uh, in the such because that you know that told you what direction you kind of needed to face to kind of protect your uh, party members from the back. You could back into a corner of a wall was a great strategy in order to protect your flanks so that you only had to put party members on the first you know quadrant or two um, to protect those guys in the back. When you threw out area of effect spells instead of just them automatically affecting the enemy front row or both rows or whatever it is in most dungeon crawlers depending on the spell, uh, you when you cast an area of effect in Wizardry Eight. You actually pick the spot on the ground and it blows up. And you can see the radius. And you knew it was going to hit these five bad guys. So again, positioning of yourself in relation to the bad guys, very important and and very, very well done. I mean, the gameplay was just way ahead of its time. And it's a shame that with all of the resurgence of dungeon crawlers like Etrian Odyssey and the such, uh, a number of PSP games, including new Wizardry games uh, that came out on those platforms, that they went back and recessed to the grid, the rigid grid-based format, which I'm sure is a little bit easier to program for. But they totally mm-hmm. missed out on this foundation that we Wizardry 8 had laid down, and as a result uh, of the gameplay, th- there's also a storyline which, even though I got through the entire game, you guys know me. I don't pay a whole lot of attention to plot unless it's really heart-wrenching like Final Fantasy VI. Compared to Final Fantasy VI, everything else is so boring. Um, 
Just kidding, but uh, it seems like that way. But but this game got critical acclaim uh, across the board. GameStop gave it best single player role playing game of that year. Uh, top ten, uh, one of the top ten best uh, PC games of all time on one of GameStop's list. Uh, best single player RPG of 2001 on RPG Dot. Um, runner up for PC RPG game of the year on GameSpy. Editor's Choice Award on Action Trip. I mean, it just it just went on and on. There was a, a whole list of critical acclaims. Uh, that this particular game got. So really, you know, we're talking this week. It's kind of more appropriate for this week because we are talking – we'll talk about my Zelda game next week. (laughs) But it is is something that is probably – it probably wasn't under-recognized, at least from the critic standpoint, but it was certainly under-recognized among the community, maybe not played enough, however you want to look at that. Wouldn't have been a bad thing to throw at Mr. Trent's uh, feature if I actually took the time to write stuff. So I should have probably done a write-up on it because it, it really – Yeah, it's a thought that counts, right? Um, yeah. Uh, so – and there's some – probably there's probably a good story. Good, I mean, You can read the reviews to find out about the story if you're, if you're big into the storylines and stuff. Um, I remember one of the cool things too, and this is kind of typical for the Wizardry games, but you'll build a co- – You'll build your own characters from scratch, and one of the really cool things about Wizardry games is your character's attributes. There's a lot of different attributes, including like climb and swim, and uh, I don't remember the exact attributes off the top of my head. But there's, you know, their magic powers, their physical attack powers, their lockpicking skills. There's all these nuanced statistics, but they go up usually with use, um, a la ob- Oblivion, except. You don't really – I don't know if you level up based on those or on experience points or what. Uh, but I remember it was kind of cool watching your power. Every time you're doing something, something is leveling up. So there's that there's that morphine drip of your characters constantly getting uh, stronger. So you really get attached to these six characters. They don't have a lot of personality at all. They do talk a little bit. There's some sound clips recorded for each one of them, and they do have comments as they go along, especially when they get hurt and stuff. It's really kind of cute. And then on top of that, there's two NPC slots. So again, something a little atypical. Uh, for the first-person dungeon crawler, but as the storylines go on, you will have the occasional NPC or two join your team, and they will contribute a lot more to the conversation. Goldbox did something uh, similar when they needed to push ahead to plot via, you know, a character, uh, you know, in the party, rather than forcing you to take on party members that would be integral to the plot uh, and running with that team of characters. You build your own, and you'd pick up an NPC here and there when they were important. So... It kind of does. It does all that really, really well. Uh, I mentioned this before, but I had lost the dicks or sold them or something along those lines. I think when I moved, they got lost. I had actually liked this game so much that even a decade after it was released, I went out and bought another copy. <laughs> and it sits soundly until GOG finds a way to release it. <laughs> I still have those uh, those discs. So, and uh, it still worked on Windows XP when I tried it the other day. So that was awesome. Just don't run anything in the background. It doesn't like stuff in the background. Don't alt tab. Oh my god, whatever you do, do not alt tab. Ah. So, anyhow, that is Wizardry 8. That is my number 10 game, and I guess you guys already got a pretty big hint on what my number 9 game is, but which game from the Zelda series? As I mentioned before, the rules of my top 10 list, very similar to a game trailers list or something, is that if I'm going to pick a game from a series, there's only going to be one game in the series in my top 10 list. So, the Zelda game will obviously be my favorite Zelda game, but which one will it be? So, you'll have to... Zelda 2. What's that? Zelda 2. Zelda 2. Yeah! Yeah! You know, the 
you know what's one thing that I thought was really awesome? I was uh, I was watching one of the Nintendo Direct vi- videos on 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 well on their Nintendo site, and there was an error on the page, and it forward, and their error message under the four oh four is that guy from Zelda two who says I am error. Oh, that's hilarious! How how cute is that? Yeah, that is cute. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really neat. Did I? Uh, I don't know if I ever mentioned this. Speaking of. Oh, I, I think I didn't mention this. I don't think I've ever mentioned this. I think it's recent news. Just kind of going off on tangent here also. Um, but Spell Force is also on GOG.com. That's kind of a hybrid RPG RTS deal. So pretty good. Not super mind-blowing great. But if you're looking for some an RTS that lets you you know build up towers and castles and f- armies and had a hero that leads them and gains XP, uh, kind of like... Uh, what was that? Oh, I'm too tired now to think about it. Anywho that one's on GOG as well. But yes, yes. So next week will obviously be a Zelda game and I will continue to count those down as long as Mr. Minky reminds me. That's his job. All right, I can do that. All right. Um, we'll count down to number one of Phil's weird RPG list. All righty. Well, that would be it for the show this evening. RPG Backtrack is a production of RPGamer.com, your source for news, reviews, and home to the best gaming community on the net. So check us all out at RPGamer.com. You can also post on our forums. There's a little link on the side to get on our forums. Leave us comments. Write about our previous shows. Let us know what you think. You're also welcome to check us out at Twitter.com forward slash RPGamer. I'm at Twitter.com forward slash JCServant. You can also do Facebook. Same thing there, forward slash RPGamer, forward slash JCServant there. As always, listen to our previous podcast as well as our awesome sister show, RPGcast, all at RPGamer.com. And head on over to iTunes and leave us lots of five-star comments. Because if you leave us one-star comments, that's just not nice. Okay, Mr. Mickey, put us to bed. Notably, Nier was not retitled when it came over here. Clearly, that means that Square Enix decided Nier is a better title developed by Kavia than Dragon Dragoon, which I stand by as being just about the dumbest game title I've ever heard. And that is not necessarily emblematic of the games, but uh, if you want to read that in, be my guest. And I am done for the night. I... Yeah, I'm I'm not as tired as Trent, but I'm getting there. Bye everybody. Bye.